let me show you how I had to pick up my MacBook Pro today. Here, I'm going to put this why would you? Why would you wait until we're live to do something with a visual aid? First, I was like, how you picked it up off the desk? I'm like, oh, no, I get it. Okay. So it's been a bit of a storm. Mm-hmm. All right, so listeners, what I'm looking at is what appears to be some sort of ferry terminal, and on, and that's taking up the majority of the center of the image. There's a lot of water, water in places that it doesn't really appear that there should be water, including to the left-hand side of the image, there's a different building with steps leading down from what appear to be storefronts or something like that. And some or all of the steps, well, not all of the steps, but either the steps are landing in water, which the clearly is not, is, yeah. <laughs> is not intended, or the, like, the last couple of steps are underwater. So I'm going to go with this is not by design. There was a large storm coming through the Northeast, and uh, whenever there's a very large storm, our little beach town here, the, the downtown area, floods like this. Um, but to get my <laughs> MacBook Pro, I had to wait, first of all, for the freight boat to arrive two hours late because the Great South Bay was not in good shape with 50-mile-an-hour winds. When it somehow actually did arrive, um, I had to ride through, ride my bike with very, very tall boots through this water. Now, the water is tall enough that the entire, um, whatever the wheel that turns that is on the pedal side of the chain, like not the back side, like the pedal wheel that is turning, mm-hmm. that was totally submerged underwater. Oh, cool. <laughs> so that, that's roughly the depth of the water. It was maybe, I don't know, a foot deep, something like that. So I had to ride my bike through that. Now, unfortunately, I did not bring a backpack to oh, no. put the box in. So on the way home, I rode through this water while carrying the laptop box under one arm, (laughs) riding a bike through foot-deep water thinking, oh my God, don't drop it. Don't drop it. Don't drop it. (laughs) Well, it's shrink-wrapped. It'll be fine, right? Yeah. Is it? I I don't know. I guess it is. Yeah. I wish I knew, Marco. I wish I knew. (laughs) We'll get to that later. At least it would float if you dropped it, so you'd have a second to snatch it up. I guess, yeah. It would be trickier if i wanted to return it later what happened to the box uh oh don't worry about like the little pink like the little things that turn pink in water did they put them i guess they probably are in in laptops now as well oh i'm sure yeah but yeah (laughs) anyway so i got it here safe and sound i did not actually um so people in the chat are asking why i don't have a basket on my bike many people here have baskets on their bikes i'm not a basket fan i i see the appeal from a practical perspective I don't like what it does to the weight of the steering column or whatever they're called on bikes uh, because it it basically puts all the the weight up front. And so not only does it make it steer poorly when you have stuff in the basket, but it also makes it steer poorly when you don't have stuff in the basket because there's just like this big metal weight on the front you know, swingy thing, whatever it's called. The handlebars, it doesn't need to be in there. You can put baskets on the back of your bike too, you know. You know, I've tried those. to Like I I had like the, um, oh God, the pennier or however that word however that word is pronounced i've had those mm-hmm. bags before that's great because then when you put stuff in them the bike falls over it, it's wonderful <laughs> so my strategy normally is i have a giant uh, i think it's from ice mule cooler backpack and I, I i honestly don't use it for its cooler function i use it because it's a giant tube that fits on my back and so whenever i go grocery shopping i bring that on the bike and I f- it, it holds roughly one heaping grocery basket worth of items. Backpacks are my far preferred way to carry stuff on the bike. Uh, but anyway, I didn't bring a backpack this time. <laughs> so <laughs> I should have and didn't. But I got it home safe and sound. And uh, there you go. Marco, for the record, I would bike both underwater both ways to get my MacBook Pro, which <laughs> honestly wasn't due to come in today anyway, but at the rate we're going may never show up. And we'll we'll leave that teaser for now and talk about it more later. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, though, the, the downside of this teaser is that 
because of the aforementioned storm conditions and all the logistics of getting this laptop here today, I've only had it for like two hours. <laughs> like I've not had it for a very <laughs> long time. So my, my impressions will be extremely first impressions. The ATP store is back, baby. This is our holiday sale and it's happening right now. So this is where we do the same thing every year and I'm going to do it again. If you're listening to this right now and you are interested in having merchandise to to wear or to gift between now and the end of the year, now is the time to do it. If you're driving, pull over. If you're biking in water, maybe think about your life choices and then pull over <laughs> and go to atp.fm slash store and you can get all sorts of sweet, sweet, sweet new merchandise. So let's talk about what we've got. John, I'm going to start, but feel free to interrupt whenever you're ready. We've got an M1 Pro shirt. Which, thanks to the intrepid work of uh, Mr. John Syracuse, we now have an updated chip diagram on the back. But it's not just that. We also have an M1 Max shirt. And again, if you're listening, maybe Marco can make this the, the chapter art. We'll see what happens. But you should see these, like the, the rendering of the back of this T-shirt. We almost needed to extend the length of the T-shirt to fit the <laughs> M1 Max <laughs> on the shirt. It is kind of preposterous, and I freaking love it. I don't think we're going to be able to do it for the Mac Pro chips because we're really <laughs> pushing the limit of what kind of diagram can fit on the back of this shirt. Can, I we, can we put it like on a raincoat? Yeah, when <laughs> right? people were joking about that. I said, oh, I'll just shrink it, get it like silicon shrink, you know. But the thing is, you can't actually shrink these diagrams. And these, you know, these are fanciful diagrams with just rectangles and stuff. They don't really look like the real chips, but they're they're representative. Um, but you can't just keep shrinking it because there's a minimum line width and a minimal sort of gap between lines. And we were really pushing up against it here. So, um yeah, and some, and you know, we used to be selling the the on-demand M1 shirt is uh, off sale for now, just so there's no confusion about what these are like the real ones, the the you know the highest quality printing, the most expensive, as you'll see. Um, <laughs> really we, selling it, John. You're our best yeah. salesman. Right. Seriously. So, so we we had so the front of these ones it says M, we, the front says M1 Pro and M1 Max. We I had made a design that said M1X that turned out not to be the name on the chip. So <laughs> forget about that shirt. Sorry, everybody. Um, but this one, we were trying to figure out how to incorporate Pro and Max, and so we did it with like a badge. The badges are colored. The Pro badge is blue, and the Max badge is purple because those are the colors that Apple uses, and it's sort of you know in their event and marketing materials. Like the Pro is always glowing blue or whatever, but it's of course it's the sort of BMW style font or whatever. Anyway, so yeah, they have the printing on the front with the Pro or the Max badge, and on the back you get a different chip depending on which shirt you got. So people can tell if you're Pro or Max by looking at the front or the back. Um, and as we as we described, <laughs> I did this quote unquote sales pitch last time. Uh, these are extremely expensive T-shirts because they have too many freaking colors on them. Plus, they have printing on the back, so every single color is another printing pass. Plus, there's also a printing pass on the back. Right. Um, that's by the way why the blue pro badge is the same color blue as the blue in the m1 logo and the purple max badge is the same color purple as the purple in the m1 logo because if we didn't do that we'd have to do even another printing pass that would cost even more money so <laughs> See, you didn't realize how well engineered our shirts are but these are the engineering trade-offs that the three of us made well and, and I, I joke about like i made this picture last time I'm like we're sorry these shirts are so expensive but they're expensive for us to make because there's lots of printing passes and it was like our best-selling shirt we've ever made so i don't know what that <laughs> means is it a, is it a veblen good where we're <laughs> the more expensive it is the more desirable it becomes but just so you know, these shirts are super duper expensive. We did the usual joke that we normally do, which is the Mac shirt is more expensive because, of course, it is. Honestly, I think the pro one looks better because the blue looks better than the purple, but the Max one is the fanciest one. So those are the <laughs> rainbow M1 Pro and M1 Mac shirts. But just like last year, 
we have cheaper options that only have one color on them, which requires one printing pass, front and back. You've got the chip on the back, you've got the thing on the front, but it's just one color. And those shirts, the shirts themselves come in like nine different colors, right? So it's just like it was last year, if you remember, or in the last sale, if you remember the M1 shirts, we've got the rainbow ones that are ridiculously expensive that are our best-selling shirt we've ever made for some reason. <laughs> and then we have the monochrome ones, which come in all sorts of fun colors, and I think they're really neat. You should check them out if you don't want to spend the money you need to spend to get a, a fully kitted out max shirt. Indeed. So what kind of prices are we talking about here? So this is all obviously American dollars. Uh, the M1 Pro Rainbow Edition. So this is a black shirt with, you know, all the different uh, inks on the front. That is $39. The M1 Max, you know, otherwise the same $42 because, hey, it's Max. It's got to be more expensive. By comparison, the monochrome versions are, what did we say, $32 for the Pro and $35 for the Max. So, again, a little bit more expensive for the Max because you got if you're going to flex, let's flex. You know, you, you've earned that flex, so, so you know, show it off. Uh, so we've got several different options for you. Those are all available. As with a couple other things we'll get to in a second, they're available till the end of the day on the 12th of November. Now, what else do we have? You know, I have, I, I don't have a lot of regrets when it comes to this show. I regret that one episode where I had a little too much to drink while they were talking about the Mac Pro. Uh, that was many years ago, and, and, and I haven't drank on the show since. But, um, but I, other than that, I don't have a lot of regrets. I do, however, regret asking John about his winter hat situation uh, just an episode <laughs> or two ago. And I believe this one is my fault. I don't think this is anyone's fault on my own, but I regret it. Because we had already thought about doing an ATP winter hat, which we are. However, we're not doing a chicken hat, so <laughs> we are really firing on all cylinders over here at ATP HQ. But we do have an ATP winter hat with an embroidered logo on it, uh, which I'm really excited about, and that should look really good. Uh, I have no idea how much that is, actually. How much did we say that was going to be? That is $32 as well. Again, it's not cheap for us to make because it's embroidered. Similarly, an ATP hoodie. This is the same situation as before, an embroidered ATP hoodie. I freaking live in this thing for like half the year. Uh, that is $49. And then finally, the classic ATP logo shirt. This is black only on the uh, material, but then the rainbow front. Similar in spirit to the M1. This is where the M1 shirt came from. Uh, that is also available, as it almost always will be, I suspect. And that is uh, $32, since there's nothing on the back or anything like that. So quite the spread for you to choose between. And again, this is where I say every time somebody says to me, oh, I forgot. I should have done something. I should have pulled over. I should have listened to you, Casey. And I didn't. And now can you please open the store? Please, 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 please. No, no, we can't. This is your, this is your warning. <laughs> this is your chance until the end of the day on the 12th of November. We will remind you twice more the end of the day on the 12th of November, uh, uh, ATP time that is. So please check it out. Also, uh, I don't have the details in front of me because I completely forgot to add it to the show notes. However, uh, Cotton Bureau, has, who is our uh, vendor and t-shirt maker and all that, they've made some changes for international people. I know a lot of you have unfortunately gotten kind of burned by um, like value-added tax or whatever crazy uh, taxes that they do overseas. And I'm told that both for the UK and Europe all the taxes and fees should in most circumstances be calculated and billed right up front. So you're not going to have a, you know, 30 or $40 t-shirt and then like 10 or 20 bucks in, in fees or in your, or whatever your local currency is in fees once it hits your shores. So uh, no promises. I'm still a little fuzzy on what this means because I'm a dumb American, but 
hopefully you should see that be a lot better this time. Uh, and, and if not, then please reach out to us or to Cotton Bureau and they, they'll square you away. So check it out. A few more, a few more items before we uh, move on. Uh, mugs and pint glasses. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you. I completely forgot. We know people want mugs and pint glasses. We wanted to sell them, especially mugs, because it's the wintertime. But unfortunately, our supplier for mugs and pint glasses is not able to <laughs> guarantee us any kind of order fulfillment in time for the holidays. So no mugs and pint glasses. We know people want to replace them. We know some people have broken them. We will put them on sale again as soon as we can get them in stock. We also looked at like alternate mugs from different makers, and we didn't find any that we really liked. Uh, but mugs and pint glasses will be back someday. We're sorry we don't have them for the holidays, but you know we do have a bunch of other new stuff. Yep, yeah, we we I would even consider doing a run of just mugs and glasses if and when the time comes that we can. But yes, I would not plan on that being available for the holidays, which is not what we intended. It's not what Cotton Bureau intended. It's just in these unprecedented times, mm-hmm. sometimes things don't show up when you want. Not that I know anything about that. <laughs> oh, and one more thing to, to remind everybody. Uh, if you are an ATP member, check your member page because you will find your own discount code there for 15% off everything in the store. And if you want to get 15% off because, uh, you know, you think you're going to buy a bunch of stuff and, and it's expensive, become a member, ATP.fm slash join, become a member for one month, get the 15% discount and then just cancel your member. And then forget. And then sh- forget. forget. Or, or yes, forget. Yeah, then forget. Either then one. Forget. The whole point is it's pretty easy to save like the, whatever the membership costs is like $8. You can save eight bucks buying a couple of t-shirts easy, right? So it's and i'm always amazed that people don't do this because i look at the membership numbers and i think surely everybody who bought from the store like no I, nobody would buy anything from the store without first getting the easy 15 percent off and then canceling but no it never happens like we don't see a big bump in members it's just the members get the discount and nobody else does everybody get the discount do the math beforehand figure out i'm gonna order this this and this and this is how much membership costs and this is how much 15 like maybe we should put a calculator in to say hey you shouldn't we should out. do that with, with card, you should become a member anyway Members, don't forget it's on your member page at atp.fm. What is the member page? It is atp.fm slash member. That's where you go. Uh, if you're logged in on the site, you will see your member code. Copy and paste it into the store site during checkout to get your discount. Now, John, if you weren't a member, and this sounds just too good to be true because it kind of is, where would you go to become a member? I said it already. atp.fm slash join. John, what's up with fast directory sizing? It was uh, last episode or maybe an episode or two ago, we were talking about uh, keeping track of how big the stuff inside a directory tree is. And I mentioned that APFS apparently has a feature that does that. It's called APFS Fast Directory Sizing, but I didn't know if it was in use. Like it was touted when APFS was introduced all those years ago, and it seemed like a cool idea. And it's like, this solves a problem we all have. Like you have this problem on your Mac, you have it on your phone. Very often you just want to look at a folder and say, how much stuff is in this folder and all of its subfolders? Just tell me immediately. But instead, you have to see the little things as calculating or when you go to the storage screen on your iPhone, you wait a year and a day for it to figure out how much room is taken up by your movies and your apps or whatever, and then the giant gray bar of other that we don't understand. Anyway, um, so that was the open question. What's the deal with APS, APSS fast directory sizing? Is that a, still a thing? Was it removed? Is it active? Are they using it? This is the best answer I've been able to get so far. So this is an answer on the Apple Stack Exchange site from someone named Chris, and I have it on good authority that this answer is accurate. So here's, this is reading from Chris's answer. Fast directory sizing is enabled on a per directory basis, and this can be checked by the user, albeit not easily. It can only be enabled when a directory is empty and must also be turned on for every new subdirectory. 
So that's quite a wrinkle. So you can't just like take a folder on your hard drive or whatever and say, I want to enable fast directory sizing. Has to be empty. And then every single new subdirectory that's made also has to have that thing turned on when the directory is made because at that point it's empty. Um, so this is the type of thing that would be very difficult to do manually unless you were very careful. It would really have to be done by the operating system for it to be consistent. Uh, we'll put a link to uh, the APFS uh, reference PDF from Apple's website so you can read more of it. Here's a relevant quote from that PDF. You cannot enable directory fast directory sizing on directories containing files or other directories. You must instead first create a new directory, enable fast directory sizing on it, and then move the contents of the existing directory into the new directory. So I suppose a utility or something can do that if you know if it wanted to, but I don't know of anything that does. Uh, the, to do this, you have to enable this flag. It's called inode maintain dir stats, all caps underscore, uh, and, and that tells it to track everything that's underneath it. Uh, and this is again from Chris. Though still unclear to me if, if macOS is turning this flag on automatically or appropriately or not, but some initial experimentation makes me think it isn't being used. I agree, Chris, because it doesn't seem like anything about directory sizing is fast on macOS or on iOS. And from an anonymous source that would uh, know about this, I have this quote, inode stat maintenance is expensive and opt-in. So what I said before about like keeping track of the size of the stuff on your directory is expensive because you have a lot of contention to keep updating that one count. You know, every time anything gets created or destroyed underneath that directory, whatever did that thing wants to update this number and you sort of have to, they all have to get into a big line and fight with each other. Or, I want to update the number. No, I do. No, I can really slow things down. <laughs> yeah, it's expensive. Apparently there's no magic. That's why it's not enabled by default. I still feel like I might want to pay that price, especially for like sub trees of my hard drive that I check the size on, but apparently Mac OS is not doing it for me. That's a lot of work that, for something that isn't used, but yay, stuff happens. All right, so there's an, an, an Anantech, I think I have that right. Oh, God, I really got to learn that pronunciation. There's a uh, article over there <laughs> about the performance of the M1 Pro and Max. Uh, I read through this, and I don't know if I just wasn't in the right frame of mind, but my eyes kind of glazed over. So I'm going to have to ask you, John, to step in as the chief, chief summarizer-in-chief and tell me what, what's going on here. We get a backdoor Ask ATP because Dom asked this question, and I was going to put an Ask ATP, but it's very relevant to this article. Dom asks, do you think non-pro users will notice the extra memory bandwidth in the M1 Max, or do you need to run pro workloads to feel the benefit over the M1 Pro? We talked about that on the past shows. The M1 Max has, you know, double, uh, lots of stuff, has double the GPU cores, has double, like, the video encoder decoders. It also has double the memory bandwidth. Uh, But as I said on, on that show, do you know what workloads you do that stress the memory bandwidth? And that's a question that people would be asking. Will I notice that? Is a memory bandwidth a thing I would feel at all? Or how do I know whether I should bother, you know, going up to the max if I'm not sure that any of those uh, GPU cores? So this Anantech article tries to answer that question. So here are some choice quotes from it. All right. Using the CPU alone, meaning the power cores and the efficiency cores together, doesn't seem to be able to use more than 243 gigabytes per second of RAM bandwidth in the M1 Max. So recall that the M1 Max has up to 400 gigabytes of memory bandwidth. And it seems like just using the CPU, not the GPU or anything else on the, on the system on a chip, you can only use a little bit more than half of that. Uh, while 243 gigabytes per second is massive and overshadows any other design in the industry, it's still quite far from the 409 gigabytes per second the chip is capable of. More importantly, for the M1 Max, it's only slightly higher than the 204 gigabytes per second limit of the M1 Pro. So from a CPU-only workload perspective, it just doesn't appear to make sense to get the Max if one is focused just on CPU bandwidth. I don't know if this helps people make a decision, but you might know, okay, what what do you, do you see your CPU cores maxed out? If that's the case, the max is not going to, even though it has theoretically double the memory bandwidth, it's not going to help you if you're just using the CPU. 
So the article says, I imagine that workloads that stress the CPU, GPU, and media engines all at the same time would be able to take advantage of the full system memory bandwidth and allow the M1 Max to stretch its legs and differentiate itself from the M1 Pro and other systems. So right away, if you're not planning on using like almost all the chip at the same time, the memory bandwidth advantage of the M1 Max is probably not important to you. So the article goes on to compare the M1 Max and Pro with the ostensible competition uh, in, in the marketplace. It says, the workloads that put the most memory pressure and stress DRAM the most all have multiple factors of performance advantage compared to the best Intel and AMD you have to offer. So there's that qualifier of saying, if you find a workload, synthetic or real, that uses that, that uses a lot of memory bandwidth, the M1 Pro slash Max, I wish we had a name for the pair of them. The, the better M1s sample <laughs> over the competition. Uh, this is quoting from the article. The performance differences here are just insane and really showcase how far ahead Apple's memory subsystem is and its ability to allow the CPUs to scale to such a degree in memory-bound workloads. We noted how the M1 Max CPUs are not fully able to take advantage of the DRAM bandwidth of the chip. Of the chip. We can't help but ask ourselves how much better the CPUs would score if the cluster and fabric would allow them to fully utilize the memory. So this is another unknown like, why can't the just the CPUs use the bandwidth themselves? What are the limitations of what they call the on-chip fabric that sort of weaves all these pieces together? Because if you look at the chip diagram, you'll see like there's four independent memory interfaces as the ears on the Macs, and you can see kind of what they're plumbed into. And if you look at the, read the article, you'll see the description of like, it's like the plumbing, those pipes don't all go to the CPU, which is why the CPU alone can't use all the memory bandwidth, because it doesn't really have a direct line to that. So theoretically if the fabric that weaves together all these pieces had more routes between the pieces perhaps it could go better do better maybe that's we'll see that in the larger chips we'll say um so let's talk about the spec fp suite which is the the spec floating point uh, benchmark in the spec fp suite the m1 max is in its own category of silicon with no comparison in the market it completely demolishes any laptop contender showcasing 2.2 times the performance of the second best laptop chip the M1 Max even manages to outperform the 16-core 5950X, a chip whose package power is 142 watts, with the rest of the system quite above that. It's absolutely absurd comparison and a situation we haven't seen the likes of. So in particular aspects where these chips are strong, memory bandwidth in particular, but also like floating point stuff and benchmarks that use that memory bandwidth, these chips are absolutely amazing. Um, and the article goes on to describe like, but what, how could that be? Why, you know, what, what is it that's, is there something magic in these chips? It's more about what Apple has decided to focus on when making its designs. Uh, again, quoting from the article, Apple's stark advantage in specific workloads here do make us ask the question how this translates into application use cases. We'd never seen such a design before, so it's not exactly clear where things would land. And I think Apple has been rather clear that their focus with these designs is catering to content creation crowd, the power users who use large productivity applications, be it video editing, audio mastering, or code compiling. These are all areas where the microarchitectural characteristics of the M1 Pro slash Max would shine and are likely vastly outperform any other systems out there. So Apple has made these chips with specific strengths, and it's hard to know where those strengths, what those would do for you, but it's pretty clear that they're focused on the types of things that Apple thinks its customers will do with its chips. Did I put the thing about gaming in here? Maybe I didn't. All right, so this is a good time to mention that they that the they benchmark a bunch of games too. You will be shocked to learn that is not where these chips do well. <laughs> that yeah, you can play games on a Mac, and yeah, you saw that diagram where it's like, wow, it's as fast as the you know the Nvidia 3080 laptop chip. Like that's all true, but 
if you first of all, there's not a lot of names games that are even native to ARM, so they're running all these games in Rosetta. And second of all, they're not even very good ports. Like they're Mac ports of of older games that don't run very well on the Mac. So it's very clear that Apple was not concentrating on making sure that PC games from five years ago are able to take advantage of, of all this computing power. Because they're not. It's there, and a really good sort of M1 native, well-done port or implementation of a game could absolutely take advantage of all this stuff. But it's not what Apple concentrated on, mostly because there's just aren't a lot of good games for the Mac, which is a shame, but it's true. So here's an example scenario from the folks who make Affinity Photo. Affinity makes a bunch of apps. In fact, I make... <laughs> All the designs for the shirts uh, I make in Affinity, what are they called? Affinity Designer? Affinity, yeah, Affinity Designer. It's like an Illustrator type thing. Um, so there's a bunch of Affinity apps. I think they're really great. Uh, they make Mac and iOS native versions of those and everything. Here are, here's some support reports from Andy Summerfield, who is the Affinity Photo lead. That's just what his bio says. Lead what? Lead developer? Maybe. Anyway, um, first he had a Twitter thread before the new laptops came out. Uh, describing how Affinity Photo was originally created to deal with GPU stuff. Uh, And he said, in Affinity Photo, an ideal GPU would do three different things well. High compute performance, fast on-chip bandwidth, and fast transfer on and off the GPU. Back in 2009 when we made this plan, no GPU did all three things well, but we thought that eventually the industry would get there, so we took a risk and designed the entire architecture based on that assumption. Then he says, things didn't go entirely to plan. Basically, they designed this in 2009, and for years and years, there was no chip that did all of these things well. Maybe there'd be one or two of them, but in particular, uh, fast transfer on and off the GPU, that's usually a bottleneck, right? Because you could have fast on-chip you know, VRAM between your GPU, but then you have to ship everything from main memory to the GPU, and then it grinds in and sends it back. And they designed their entire ar- architecture expecting to be able to do that back and forth uh, very quickly. So fast forward to today, where Andy is testing the M1 Max uh, with Affinity Photo. Uh, This is from a tweet. The M1 Max is the fastest GPU we have ever measured in Affinity Photo Benchmark. It outperforms the AMD W6900X, a $6,000 300-watt desktop part, (laughs) because it has immense immense compute performance, immense on-chip bandwidth, and immediate data transfer on and off the GPU. Uh, He says, the GPU isn't the only big win here. The Vector multi-CPU score in the M1 Max is the highest we have ever measured for Affinity Designer users, as is the combined single GPU score for Affinity Publisher. So in the right circumstances, in an application that is designed to take advantage of the things that this system on a chip does well, in an actual application that people use, like Affinity Photo, not an artificial benchmark, but an actual shipping application, Affinity Photo, it's faster than the, the W6900X. Again, a $6,000 GPU. So Apple definitely had certain applications in its sites. And if your applications play to the strengths of these chips, they can do amazing things with very little power. But finally, as Paul Stamachu says, the only benchmark that really matters is extracting Xcode from its zip file. If 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 you're a developer, you know what this is. And you know that when I said zip, I pronounced it with an X instead of a Z. But if you're not a developer, you might not know that one of the ways you can get Xcode is by downloading a file from Apple called Xcode, you know, version number .xip. .xip is some compression format. I don't know if it's Apple proprietary or if it's just a I, I think it's just a renamed zip that also has code signing, I think. Or signing, you know, content signing. Yeah, whatever it is. It's a compressed file, right? 
And when developers get the new version, a new version of Xcode, often they're in a hurry to, to decompress it and install it because they have to do a build to submit to the store. So you download this .xip file, this zip file, and then you decompress it. And it's one of the most common times a, a Mac or, or iOS software <laughs> developer feels their machine is slow because it takes forever. Mm-hmm. One big tip, by the way, turn off Dropbox if you use their official <laughs> client for the reasons we talked about two episodes ago with the FS events thing. Or if you use Maestro, uh, you won't have that problem either. Yeah, so why does it take so long? Well, part of it is probably just CPU grinding and decompressing because it's a multi-gigabyte thing and it's decompressing. But the other part of it is that it, it decompresses into like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of tiny files, right? And doing anything with the file system, making lots of files, takes a lot of time. That's why you don't want Dropbox watching every file system event as it goes by because it's just going to put drag on your system, right? Um, and you may be wondering like, well, how does the M1 Max help with that how do the, how do the new m1 max including the one with the m1 max uh. <laughs> help with that <laughs> so obviously cpu helps with the decompression part maybe memory bandwidth maybe uh but also as we mentioned last time the ssds are faster in these things so here is the benchmark we care about if previously you had the fastest best mac laptop you could buy 2019 the eight core was the eight core the best you could get yeah it was eight core i9 16 inch macbook pro and you were unzipping Xcode 13.1, it would take 9 minutes and 34 seconds. If you have one of the fancy new M1 Max 16 inches, less than half that time, 4 minutes and 43 seconds. <laughs> so, there, so there you have it. Or is that less than half? Yeah. Uh, the, in the benchmark, the only benchmark that matters, you will unzip Xcode twice as fast. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm excited. Although I don't know that I think about that. How does it do it twice as fast? The disks aren't twice as fast. The new SSDs did get a lot faster in read performance. I don't know if they're that much faster in write, but I think it's it's probably one of those things where you're just shuffling a ton of data around, and so it probably stresses the bandwidth of the entire system, like memory bandwidth, cache lines, I/O speed. Obviously, is going to be a big one. Like, there's but there's going to be like just stuff moving back and forth all over the place in within the system. So I would imagine like making everything kind of faster and higher bandwidth and increasing the caches everywhere and increasing the IO speed, all of those things probably play into it. Maybe there's some kind of like, since it's like a signed version, maybe verifying the signature. There's some dedicated, I think, with that. Anyway, it's faster. These are fast machines. (laughs) They are very fast indeed. All right. Tell me about Jonathan Dietz and the Pro Display XDR and 120 hertz refresh rates. Our resident graphics expert who writes us in about all sorts of graphics stuff uh, wrote a very long email doing some math that I asked for last show about whether or not it would be possible to drive a Pro Display XDR at 120 hertz given the current interfaces that connect monitors to Macs. So first thing I did uh, with Jonathan's permission is I put up the text of his email uh, on a URL. You can find a link in the show notes if you want to look through all the math because he did all the math like longhand and showed his work. Right? And so if you want to know the gory details and where all this is coming from and learn a little bit about, uh, you know, what, I don't even know what these things are called, the, the 444, 442, the whole like color component thing, um, chroma, subsampling and all that. I know about it from the TV space, but I don't actually know what you, how you describe those things. You guys know what I'm talking about with the 444 and the 422 and stuff? I didn't know anything about it until I read this. I know only the, the parts that I had to know to like transcode pirated videos. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, it's more uh, commonly seen in the television world, um, but it basically has to do with how, m- how much information you can throw away and still have the picture look decent in terms of uh, the various channels. Uh, and in, in the world of video, we're talking about chroma and luminance, which is different than RGB, because if you separate the color from the brightness, you can save a lot of space. So anyway, 
Uh, the Pro Display XDR, with the you know the resolution that it has, the shipping product, the 6K screen, at 120 hertz at 444, which means not dropping any of the information on the floor, would require 78.61 gigabits per second to drive. And no Good interface nice. does that, right? Uh, the maximum DisplayPort tunneling bandwidth with current DisplayPort interfaces that connect up to Mac video cards is 38.88 gigabits per second. So, about so you half. can see where we have about half, a little bit more, more than half than what we would need. But the whole point of DisplayStream compression and chroma subsampling is to try to compress things down, and they can actually compress things down to about half of what they the size that they would normally be. So it seems like if you're willing to give up quality, which I probably don't think you are, uh, for at least for chroma subsampling on a screen, you could, in theory, squeeze it down a single wire. With two wires, you could definitely drive it, but two wires, I don't think there's no way to support for two wires to go into the back of the Protoslay XDR, so they'd have to make a, you know, a different interface for it or whatever. So I would encourage you, if you care about this, to look at the look at the document to see the math. But the bottom line is that it seems unlikely that you would even want to drive the existing ProDisplay XDR or something like it, 120 hertz over a single cable given current interfaces because you would have to lose a lot of quality, which doesn't matter so much when you're watching a TV. I wish I think there's a link somewhere in his email that shows like what is chroma subsampling. It's basically throwing away data, which is fine if you're looking at a picture of a beach, but not so fine if you're looking at your menu bar because some of what it might have thrown away is the pixel data that defines the shape of the letters. Like if you're looking at small text on a screen, you really want to be able to see all the individual pixels. And you, if you throw away even just, you know, supposedly imperceptible data at very small feature sizes, you will notice that because you're sitting way close to your, to your computer screen. So I, you know, I, I feel bad that Jonathan wrote all this information and I really just wanted the, the bottom line question is like, is it technically possible in any feasible way? And it seems like maybe, but probably not something that you would want. And I really don't think Apple's going to ship a monitor with two wires coming out of the back of it. I mean, they, they kind of did that, I think, on the inside of the uh, the original 5K iMac, but you never saw that. Yeah, well, also keep in mind, like, even if you had a, the two-cable solution, that would take the entire bandwidth of, I, I believe, two Thunderbolt buses. And most modern, most Apple computers have between two and, I think, at most four Thunderbolt buses on, on like, the Mac Pro, maybe. But... You, you you know like the new uh, macbook pros that were just released have three um that's why there's three thunderbolt ports and that's you know assuming those all have the, all, all have that full bandwidth but you'd also be consuming it so that would basically reduce your your capability of uh or of having any kind of peripherals using bandwidth uh to basically one port um or in the case of the macbook air or the 13 macbook pro none so it, it's not a great solution in the era of today's uh thunderbolt and display port standards but down in the, you know, in the future, when these things presumably have increased bandwidth in their upcoming revisions, you know, then then we'll talk. And Jonathan had one more thing he wanted to get off his chest, and I figure it's worth <laughs> noting because I've heard this as well. He says, uh, and incidentally, because I've been seeing this all over the internet, the HDMI ports on the MacBook Pros being HDMI 2.0B does not point to any lack of I.O. bandwidth intrinsic to the new SOCs. We talked about this last week. I said that the three Thunderbolt ports were a limitation of the SOC, and I was disappointed that the HDMI port wasn't a fancier standard but they're not connected to each other they're just two separate <laughs> decisions slash limitations uh jonathan says the hdmi port is almost certainly implemented using a displayport 1.4a to hdmi 2.0b protocol converter because apple chips only support displayport output 
while there are various chips that support DisplayPort HDMI 2.1 conversion, Apple's decision was most likely based on the availability, reliability, pricing, or some other combination thereof, right? So yeah, it is disappointing that it doesn't support better HDMI standards, but these machines were designed a while ago, and maybe they just didn't have the parts available to do the conversion. But what they would be converting for is DisplayPort coming off the chips, and they're converting that with some other set of chips to an HDMI standard. And they went with 2.0B, which is not great. This is, I mean, maybe we should have a, a topic on this for future shows. Now that we've got these great laptops, what thing, what are sort of like obvious spec bump things they can do to improve them in the future? I'm sure we touch on some of that when Marco talks about his experiences in a bit. Tell me about memory pressure, because Sean Woods wrote in about this. Sean writes, I was listening to the latest ATP, and I heard John's skeptical take on the 16 gigs of RAM in the MacBook that Marco ordered. This sent me into a total tailspin, as I had ordered the exact same config earlier this week and wanted to know if I had chosen poorly. Uh, that's a reference, John. I discovered that Apple recommends checking your Mac's memory pressure as a way to gauge whether you need more RAM for your Mac. Would you recommend using memory pressure as a way of gauging likely RAM needs? So how do you get here? If you open up Activity Monitor and then at the top you choose Memory, at the bottom there'll be a running like graph of what your memory pressure on your machine is, and that's how you look at it. Uh, according to an Apple support document, yellow memory pressure means your computer might eventually need more RAM. Red memory pressure means your computer needs more RAM. And one of you is kind enough to put in here, I assume, John. Me. The number of Macs... Oh, it was Marco. Okay. <laughs> the number of Macs currently for sale with upgradable RAM. Two. The 27-inch iMac and the Mac Pro. Yeah. I thought it was funny that they have the support document that says, your computer might eventually need more RAM. And it's like, well, that means throw away the computer. Then, like, <laughs> I mean, they're just saying it needs more RAM. They didn't say it can get more RAM. Oh, right. It just yeah. needs it, but it can't get it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this was interesting. I, I had never actually watched this before, and and I'm sure John will tell me why it doesn't matter uh, in a second. But I, I thought this was interesting, and so I, I started watching my memory pressure graph on my Mac Mini that I've been using as my desktop, the 16-gig M1 Mac Mini. And um, sure enough, it has it is basically always yellow, meaning my computer <laughs> might eventually need more RAM. Um, so it was it was worth knowing like that, okay, that, that my, my quest for higher memory machines um to to eventually replace this desktop is not in vain that that i i actually would benefit from that uh and uh so we'll get to some of my ideas later and how i might get there uh but that that is definitely a need and, and i recommend if you think you might need a certain amount of ram run this you know run activity monitor in the corner for a while and glance over at the graph every so often and see like is it yellow or red uh if it's if it's always green you probably don't need more ram a lot of people were asking about memory stuff. And like, I think the reason, I mean, Marco just touched on probably the main reason we all recommend in general getting more RAM is because it increases the life of the machine because you can't upgrade it later. It's not like in the old days where, you know, you, you, if you ever need more RAM, you can install it. Uh, and we suggest this because even if you look at your memory usage, which, by the way, is a good idea, like actually measure, don't just assume, right? That just tells you what you're doing today. And how that affects your memory pressure. You don't know if you're going to keep that laptop for five years or if you're going to keep your computer for 10 years like me. Uh, you don't know what your RAM usage will be like years from now. You just know what it's like today. So, and because you can't upgrade it, uh, and you can't even like, you can't upgrade the SSDs either, but you can add external storage, but the RAM, there's like nothing you can do about it at all. So if you want to lengthen the useful lifetime of the machine, get more memory because you know you can never change it again. And that will allow the Mac to be viable for a longer period of time based on the assumption that RAM usage tends to go up over time, not stay level or go down. The history of computing has more or less shown that. 
uh, you know, kind of like induced demand on roads. You add more RAM, software developers use it. You open more Chrome tabs, whatever. Four years from now, you'll probably be using more RAM than you are today, even if only by a little bit. Uh, but yeah, definitely do measure. And in terms of this memory pressure graph being accurate, it's so difficult to measure this in a useful way. Um, especially even with your gut, you're like, why don't I just tell if my computer feels slow? There's just so many reasons your computer can feel slow. This is this is kind of a a problem for everybody who uses technology. People know when it's not satisfying them. I don't like how this is working. It's making me wait. Something is wrong with it. But beyond that, it's too much to ask of individuals to be able to diagnose exactly what is causing their computer to feel slow or be annoying or whatever. Um, and so graphs like this are better than nothing. Uh, but just because you see it in the yellow, my, like my question would be like, yeah, but does your computer ever feel slow? Because if it's yellow, but your computer never feels slow, maybe that tells you, you know, you're on the edge of something that bad can happen. Or if you're, if your RAM usage is going to double in the next five years, then maybe you want to get more RAM. But just, this is kind of like a, you know, just a rule of thumb, like for a laptop or for a computer in general, if you want it to last longer uh, on machines where you can't upgrade, upgrade the RAM ever, ever, ever get more RAM than you think you need. And that'll be an insurance policy for the future. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. So I wanted to do some quick follow-up on pants that have the uh, dedicated side leg iPhone pocket, um, which is not to prevent the problem that Merlin thought it was preventing. It really is to prevent the problem of it just like swinging on the forward part of my leg. Uh, anyway, so I talked about this in the past. I mentioned how a lot of people had recommended pants by a brand that I think is pronounced cool. It's K-U-H-L, and the U has the um, the two dots uh, over. Is that, is, that the, is that the umlaut or is that something else? Yes, it's an umlaut, I believe, or umlaut. I'm, I'm sorry, Germany. Um, so, <laughs> But chapters are great. Yeah, chapters are great. <laughs> I actually did order a pair of these, and I tried them out and everything, and they're fine, but the problem with these pants, besides that they don't look very attractive, literally every single option that people have sent in of pants or shorts that have like a like a side leg phone pocket they're all i would say utilitarian tactical you might call them Mm -hmm. many of them are specifically tactical (laughs) yes or they're or it's like workout gear like it's you know like like workout shorts like that's I, i don't like to wear tactical or athletic wear as my everyday pants i I, i'm you know i'm a boring jeans person i like jeans uh regular looking decent jeans stretchy ideally um so i have not been tempted by the looks of pretty much anything anybody has sent in (laughs) with with such pockets uh however um the cool pants are no exception um but anyway so so looks wise you know not really what i'm going for but I decided let me try one pair and and just see like the utility of it. Maybe I'll find use for it. But the issue I have with it is that, and maybe this is just the the, the ones that I got. Um, but the the side pocket for the phone is actually so low down the leg that not only is it kind of awkward to actually reach the phone in and out of the pocket, um, but also as you walk, it basically just slams into your leg over and over again. <laughs> Look, I so. I think I just traded one problem for another one. Uh, it like it's yeah. Anyway, so this category of pants that have special phone pockets so it rests on the side of your leg instead of the front of your leg. So far, this seems to be an unsolved problem, and I think I know why. Like, I, if you look at the construction of most pants, usually it's basically just like a front piece and a back piece with a seam that runs down the side of your leg, and I think it's probably difficult from a construction perspective to. Uh, make a pocket that rests on that seam on the inside as opposed to like on the front side really so i understand why it is this way 
doesn't really solve my problem, um, but instead I'm just slowly getting used to having this giant brick of a phone in my pocket. So anyway, my tactical pants brick. situation is uh, is is not um, not really being solved. I'm just slowly forgiving the problem and just living with it. I still don't fully understand the problem. To be clear about your Merlin reference before, he thought your phone was hitting you in the junk, but that's apparently not happening. <laughs> um, but then, like, the problem is what? I don't like things touching the front, the more fronty part of my legs. It's. I think it. It, it, def- it definitely makes walking inconvenient if the phone starts like swiveling over towards like the front of your leg instead of the side and i think it i think it looks ridiculous as well how does it make walking more difficult it's just your thigh your thigh has no joints in it it's just, it's unjointed i don't know i just think it, like, i think i think it, it 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 is not the way you're supposed to put stuff in your pockets like stuff in your pockets is i think it's supposed to rest more to the side hmm. but because All these right. phones are so big and heavy they just kind of migrate as you walk to whatever is like you know the the most ideal gravity position which tends to be more in the front and, and that's, maybe you need tighter jeans these are already pretty snug and I, I gained some weight this summer because i started going to restaurants because it was it became okay again so <laughs> so yeah i don't know i uh i, I don't think i do <laughs> i think my jeans are, are pretty snug <laughs> well those back pockets are always there just waiting for you oh Ugh. goodness i can't imagine all right, so we uh, should move on and talk about new stuff, at least some of us. John, you got some AirPods 3. Tell me about them. I did. I got my AirPods. Uh, oh boy, the personalization on them is so bad. It's all caps. I mean, they showed your preview on the side. I knew what it was going to look like, but it's just comical. I really just should have gotten a, like, a little emoji or something, but I, I get my full name on them just because like the whole point of having... You know, there's two points. One is to differentiate around the house so you know which little case is yours, right? But the second is, if if some if I lost them somewhere and someone found them, that person was feeling nice, I want them to be able to find me. So if I just put my initials on it, they can't find me. But if I put my full name and they type it into Google, there's a shot they can find me. So, so far, I haven't lost them. Uh, but anyway, I got my full name on the case. It's fine. Um, so uh, my impressions of the new AirPods 3. The size and the shape was my major concern. Like, are these going to fit nice in my ears? The I've been using the original airpods for years and years i love them they fit my ears perfectly um would these fit because these are shaped entirely differently there's nothing no part no no panels body panels are shared as they say in the auto industry it's an entirely <laughs> new thing it's very much like the airpods pro but not quite like them either but it's similar shaped they don't have a little soft thing that goes in your ear they're more like the old airpods they're just hard plastic things that go in your ear, right so when i first put them in i'm like oh, this is great. They fit perfectly. They feel even more secure in my ear than the old ones in terms of like if I shake my head around, how much do they wiggle? I didn't do the taking, a, I should have done this before the show. I didn't do like the taking a shirt on and off with the AirPods test, which mm-hmm. the original ones basically fail because they have long stems and they aren't in my ears, that type. But these felt very secure, very snug in my ear. So mm. like, great. That's a pro move. Yeah, it's, it's hard to do. Like, like even can... with the AirPod Pros, which have the short stems, that's a difficult thing to pull off without one of them flopping out. Right, but it's a good test of whether, like, how snug they are on your ear, right? That said, I wore them for, I've been wearing them since I got them for a few days or whatever. And I've seen this Straight? exact <laughs> complaint from a bunch of other people who presumably are like me who are using the original ones and now have the AirPods 3. They, they press up against more parts of your ear. Like, they have, they have a larger volume. Like, they're just, they're just bigger. They're, there's a bigger thing inside your ear. Um, Ignoring the stems, I'm just talking about like the like the, the pod part, right? That part is bigger, and it presses against more parts of your ear than the old one. And I think like the old ones kind of like just hung in my ear. That's why they were a little bit loosey, like there was more air around them. These ones have contact points on like the top, 
the side, like they have more contact points, which is why they're more secure, but it feels like there's something in my ear sort of pressing outward. And it's not painful or annoying, but I have, maybe I'm hypersensitive to it now, but when I take them out, I can feel where they were touching my ears a little bit, whereas I don't remember that sensation before. Or maybe I'm just noticing that now they're touching a top part instead of hanging down from my ears. They also press up against the top part. So far, not a deal breaker. It's only been a few days, but it made me consider a couple times, should I order a a backup pair of the regular ones just in case? But I figure I have plenty of time. If they're still selling the old ones, they're going to sell them for at least probably six months or a year, so I have time to think about it. But anyway, that's the, the size and the shape. Very secure fitting in my particular ear. Maybe feel a little bit big, and I'm concerned that over like the long haul, it'll, I will find it annoying. The longest I've ever worn them is like cleaning up the kitchen time, you know, or like going for a walk time. So I haven't even worn them for like an hour at a stretch yet, right? Or actually, maybe I think I watched something on the iPad, but it was at least an hour. But jury's still out, but so far so good. Second thing, squeezing the little stubby things instead of tapping. Not a fan. I knew I wouldn't be. I wanted to give it a chance. Interesting. Like, here's the problem. In the scenarios where I want to quickly, uh, first of all, I have double tap or whatever, you know, tapping the AirPod set to stop the playback. That's what I use it for, right? And it's always when someone in my house comes over and wants to say something to me and I can't hear them because I'm listening to music or a podcast. I got to go tap, tap, what? You know, like you want to be able to do it quickly, Right. The first problem obviously is obviously a habit. They come up to me, they tap me on the shoulder, they say something, I tap my ear, nothing happens. That's just a habit. But I've done it like 19 times now. I just tap my ear and it's like, oh, nothing happens. Sometimes I tap it twice until I remember, oh yeah, tapping does nothing on these anymore, which is annoying. They're so huge. Put an accelerometer in there. Anyway. But the real problem is when I do remember, how quickly can I take one of my hands, which may or may not be covered in dish soap, and find, bring it up to my ear and find that little stubby little thing sticking out and then get it between my little fingertips and squeeze it. It's tricky because <laughs> the little stubby thing is like against my ear. It doesn't stick out and it doesn't extend down and it's so tiny and it's not like squishy and you can kind of squeeze it anywhere. You can squeeze it more in more places than you think you can and it does have the nice little click to know that you did it. All that is good, but squeezing it I find very difficult and fidgety whereas tapping i could do literally with an oven mitt on i could do it outside of a winter hat people have talked about wearing helmets and be able to just smack the side of the helmet and it would trigger the accelerometers <laughs> that's all out the window when you got to find that little tiny thing and squeeze it so i'm a little bit sad about that but again only been a few days i'm willing to give it a try and the main reason i'm willing to give it a try is these sound so much better than the original airpods <laughs> so it's funny um not that I didn't mostly didn't listen to music. I just mostly listened to podcasts and stuff on them. But you can tell that the sound quality is, I mean, the, the volume is louder. The bass is better. The reproduction is better. Like, they're just better sounding, as they should be. Like, the original AirPods are, what, like, four or five years old now? Like, and, and these are just bigger. They're just playing bigger. They probably have bigger drivers in there. And, you know, and then also I think the battery life is probably going to end up being better. I have no idea because I haven't come close to sort of draining the battery on these. But, yeah, they, they're, they're better headphones. So that's why I'm going to stick it out. Um, and the case, yeah, I don't like the case. The case is bigger. Uh, I prefer the old case. Uh, but I tested the mag safeness of the case, and there are definitely more magnetic sort of alignment points than there were before. And I did some testing with like old versus new on my little Apple MagSafe puck thing. And it's like the old case had maybe two ill-defined magnet points that would stick. Or, you know, I don't know if they're magnet points. They're probably just metal things, right? Because the magnet, the ring around the MagSafe puck is magnetic. So it felt like it only had only two, and that didn't really give it kind of a firm placement. It was just kind of like wobbly just on those two things. The new one has like four clear points. You put it on the MagSafe puck, and it 
has four clear points. It still isn't kind of like spring into place, but when you get it into place, it is more secure. So Apple did actually change some aspect of the design to be better with the MagSafe puck. Almost too good because now if you just, like, I don't have, I don't have Marco's, like, suction stuff sticking my puck to my nightstand. <laughs> so if you're not careful and you go to lift the uh, AirPods case off of the puck, it'll take the puck with it. That's how strong the magnets are if you don't, like, sort of get your fingers underneath it. So overall, I give a tentative thumbs up, good sound quality. So far, no deal breakers, uh, but I kind of miss tapping and it's just a, a question of whether the ergonomics will be adequate for me um, and, you know, and uh, or I won't be able to leave them because I'll get too used to the good sound quality. We should talk about the MacBook Pro. Uh, Marco made mention that his was dragged underwater for a mile in order to get to his house this afternoon. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> uh, mine, so I have the first worldiest of first world problems. Uh, my MacBook Pro has been sitting somewhere in Shenzhen for like three days now, I think, or something like that. It was originally due uh, next week sometime. I forget exactly when it was, actually. Uh, but it shipped a couple of days ago as we record this on Wednesday night. And UPS was like, hey, it's on its way. It'll be here Monday. And Apple said, well, maybe Wednesday, as in a week from when we're recording right now. Uh, but UPS said, no, 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 it'll be Monday. And actually still says, no, 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 it'll be Monday. But it just kept sitting in Shenzhen and sitting and sitting over a day, over two days, over three days, if I'm not mistaken. It's just sitting, chilling out in Shenzhen. Doesn't want to leave home, apparently. And I was getting increasingly embittered about this because I want my treat. I really am excited for this. I really want my treat. Is that so much to ask? I don't buy computers very often. I buy them more often than John, but considerably less often than Marco. And well, I would like hard. my... <laughs> On either <laughs> side of that. <laughs> that. That's very true. You're exactly <laughs> right. I, it was really difficult to thread this needle, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, I just want my treat. And uh, somebody, a friend of mine, uh, Simon, uh, pointed me to a Mac Rumors post that was put up the morning, MacBook Pro shipments being delayed due to UPS mechanical issues. And I've heard conflicting reports over exactly what's going wrong, but one way or another, it seems like UPS just doesn't have enough planes to ship all the stuff they need to ship. So my MacBook Pro is sitting in China for a while. Maybe it'll leave at some point. I presume it will. Don't know when. <laughs> Y'all, I'm really trying to find some chill about this issue. Coming up short, though, really don't have a lot of chill right now. And I should, because really, this doesn't matter. And and I'm extremely appreciative of the fact that I can get one and that it's eventually going to show up. But patience is not my strong suit, gentlemen, and I'm really running low on chill on this issue. So uh, I did go to the store uh, yesterday, and I went to see what builds they had in stock. They didn't have anything that was close enough to what I ordered that I was willing to just impulse buy uh, on the spot. Uh, but nevertheless, I did uh, quickly handle both the 16 and 14 inch machines. I didn't play with them in terms of like software very much, but in terms of physical design and whatnot, I did hold on to them, you know, to lift it up, spin it around and so on. Uh, the one thing I think I, that I should note right away is that as compared to my Intel MacBook Pro, I didn't feel like they were that dramatically heavier. My understanding is as compared to an M1 uh, MacBook or certainly a MacBook Air or perhaps even a MacBook Pro, um, that it is quite a bit 
uh, heavier. And Marco, you can correct me in a moment here. But compared to my Intel machine, it was actually roughly the same. Other than that, it looks beautiful. I like the new design. I love those ports hanging out there. And the screen looked great, but I didn't have it like side to side or side by side with anything else. Uh, so I, I didn't, I don't have really good comparisons. It occurred to me well after I left that uh, I must be a professional podcasters because I didn't even think to like open up Safari and go scrolling to see what the 120 hertz was like. It just oh, did not yeah. even cross my eye. I haven't done that so, either. <laughs> is it, see that? Okay, so I feel a little better. What you should have done is gone to the screensaver and see something in HDR because I think like you said, oh, the screen, I can't tell because I don't have anything side by side. If you were to bring up something in HDR as in not the UI, you would notice the difference. And one easy way to do that with the built-in thing is, to, well, isn't it built-in? Maybe it's not. I'm thinking of Apple TV. Anyway, if you use the Arial screensaver and tell it to show HDR video only and turn that on, suddenly you have your screen filled with HDR video and it will really pop. You won't need like a side-by-side comparison. You will notice the difference. Yeah, I I can't imagine Apple (laughs) shipping a a, a screensaver for a laptop that runs on batteries that would show HDR content (laughs) continuously. That's, there's no way they would do that. I mean, but in that that case, it's actually kind of hard to like find HDR content because none of the UI is going to be HDR. You need like a a video or a photo or something. Maybe they have some HDR photos if you launch the Photos app. Well, just just take a photo with a modern iPhone that can shoot HDR photos and just view it yeah like but you do it, need something yeah. with a like highlight or something that's gonna really show that off but i think that's that's where the screen difference you, you know you'll be able to see that without a side-by-side comparison it's just so much brighter yeah, that's a good point. And by the way, real-time follow-up, uh, I was saying Shenzhen, I meant Shanghai, I'm sorry. And it has been sitting, uh, I don't know if this is actually my local or their local, but it's been sitting in Shanghai uh, since 4.13 a.m. on Monday. So it's been two days that it's been, well, almost three at this point that it's been sitting there. Uh, and yeah, it eventually will show up at my house, I'm sure, but I'm I'm very sad, y'all. So Marco, let me live vicariously through you as I weep quietly and perhaps on mute. <sighs> How good is it? I really don't know yet. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) So part of that is because of the aforementioned issues with just, you know, getting it here during a big storm and my town is flooded and everything. So it's, and by the way, not like a flood that anybody has to to feel sorry for. This is just what happens in a beach town on the off season. It's, you know, nothing's, nothing's, you know, ruined or anything. Um, Anyway, so issue number one is that I haven't had it for very long. Issue number two is that for the first time, I think ever, migration assistant totally failed me. And so I had I have nothing on it yet. Like I, all I did so far was get whatever I could set up so I could run my Xcode comparison building Overcast, uh, and so I could see like how how much more quickly does it build Overcast than my M1, you know Mac Mac Mini and MacBook Air? Because what I want to know with this computer is do I do I want to use it as my desktop until Apple makes a faster desktop than this? And because my my current thinking on that, uh, which you talked a little bit about this on Under the Radar uh, today as well, my current thinking on that is that chances are, based on the rumors and based on you know Apple you know tea leaf reading, that they're probably done releasing hardware for this year, uh, and they are they are almost certainly if they're not done releasing hardware, they're almost certainly done releasing Macs for this year, uh, and the the next the, the soonest I can imagine there being a Mac mini or other, any other kind of desktop Mac with these chips in in it or better is at least next spring. And as we discussed, it might even be next fall. So we have between probably between six and 12 months where this, where the, the fastest computers Apple makes are going to be MacBook pros. Um, that's, that, that's the most likely outcome here. And so I, I decided, well, I, I want to see how fast is this because 
after last show, we were, we were talking in the after show, and, and Casey and John convinced me maybe I should have ordered higher specs and maybe I should be using this, you know, possibly as a desktop, you know, in clamshell mode or whatever else. And, uh, and, and I had a good experience doing that with my M1 MacBook Air last fall when I first got it before I got the Mac Mini. And so I know that that works really well on the M1s. And so I'm like, all right, well, fine. So I, I placed a just-in-case order because it was a while out for a uh, more decked-out 14-inch, 64 gigs of RAM, 4 terabyte storage, um, the 32-core you know, top-end CPU. Because I'm like, well, just in case I end up getting this and wanting something faster, then at least I'm ahead of the order queue a little bit. And that's not going to ship until the end of November, allegedly. So I have a month, roughly, before it's even going to get here. If yours shows up before mine, your second one shows <laughs> yeah, up before second. mine, I'm going to come up and steal it. So put it under lock and key if it does show up. I'm telling you now. Bring, to, bring some tall boots. <laughs> before Marco gets to the end of his story, which may or may not have a happy ending, I just want to warn people that when if, if you ever think of trying to do this, you say, oh, it says it's going to arrive at the end of November, so I don't have to worry about it. You do have to worry about it because kind of like progress bars in our past discussion, Apple doesn't know the future. And even though when you order it, it says this is the date range your thing may be coming. Sometimes, in fact, fairly often, that date is not the date your thing comes. It could come days or even weeks earlier than you expected. And they think that's a good thing. And if you are relying on the fact that oh, I have a week, I have a month to decide whether I have to cancel this order, you may just wake up one day with your computer that you thought you still had another two weeks to cancel sitting on your doorstep. So be careful. Yeah, but I only have two weeks to return this one, and so and I know that I have most likely four or so weeks before I get the higher spec one if I don't cancel that order yet. So I kind of have to make a decision like, what do I do here? I do love a lot about this computer. I definitely do not want the 16-inch for myself. I, I love the 14-inch size. Um, it is great. And I think if, again, if I were using the laptop as a laptop, as my main computer, I would get the 16-inch, no question, because I would want the extra screen space. But because I'm using it either to most likely drive a, a display in clamshell mode, in which case its size doesn't matter at all, or when I'm going to take it somewhere, you know, then I'm going to want it to be mid-sized not not maximum sized uh then uh, the 14 inch i think remains the size for me uh, but anyway so going back to trying to get this to work um it, it did eventually work in the sense that i gave up on trying to migrate my my m1 macbook pro or my m1 macbook air excuse me to it um i don't know if if you have seen the target disk mode equivalent for m1s it's actually different you have to like boot into the recovery mode and then there's there's basically like a little like share disk app that you run that you type in all the passwords and it makes the disk available. I tried to get this to work with a Thunderbolt cable and USB 3 cable in every port configuration I could figure out. And I could not get the new MacBook Pro to recognize the MacBook Air in its whatever it's called target disk mode uh, at all. It just wouldn't show up as like the available disk in the in the setup wizard thing. So then I tried, okay, I'll go, I'll boot with MacBook Air in regular mode, and I'll launch Migration Assistant and try to get that to work. And Migration Assistant said it couldn't authenticate the current user and failed. And I'm like, that's weird. Okay, I rebooted. Same thing. Okay. I guess this isn't happening today. 
<laughs> so <laughs> anyway, so I just set it up as new and I ran some tests. Um, and I don't have, I have almost nothing on it yet, but I, I just basically airdropped a bunch of files to airdrop my version of Xcode, my, my checkout directories for Overcast, got, you know, got the signing credentials over there, which was a, a wonderful pain in the butt as it always is, but oh well, um, that's, that's not the <laughs> M1's fault. And uh, finally was able to uh, build some stuff. Now, we've seen benchmarks for Xcode all over the map on basically how much faster these are than the M1s. And I should clarify also, the MacBook Pro I have here to test today is an M1 Pro, not an M1 Max. It is the 10 core, so it is like the, the it's the M1 Pro with all of its parts working, but it is still the M1 Pro and it only has 16 gigs of RAM, John. Um, so, <laughs> which, yes, I do regret. Thanks, thanks, John. <laughs> so, um, the building building Overcast in its current version uh, from a clean build on my M1 Mac Mini, my, my desktop, takes 30 seconds. That same thing on the M1 Pro takes 19 seconds. So it's 36% faster. Nice. Um, now, a lot of people don't do clean builds very often. Um, so I figured, let me try something a little more realistic. Let me try an incremental build. Um, I, I did two incremental builds, one of them that changes a file that's included by a lot of files in the project, my appearance manager file. Lots of stuff uses this. So when I change anything in that file, it has to rebuild a lot of other files. Uh, that, on the M1, took 20 seconds. On the M1 Pro, it took 13 seconds. So 31% faster. Um, and then I did, after that, um, the most common thing, a very small incremental change. This was changing one view controller but this is a Swift file this time. So one Swift view controller file. So the most simple incremental build that you could probably do. Uh, M1, six seconds. M1 Pro, four seconds. So it is faster. It is a decent amount faster, and these are gains that I want. And in addition to that, you know, 30 to 50% faster build time um, for my actual work that I actually do with my actual project. Um, in addition to that, it also has the higher RAM ceiling available. So what I am definitely going to try is getting this higher spec machine in and running it in clamshell mode as my desktop again. I had, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I had a great experience doing that with the MacBook Air um, and uh, the, the M1 MacBook Air. And so I know the M I know the M1 machines can do clamshell mode reliably. I know they're good at it. I know it's a it's a totally fine experience. And then my plan is to kind of go a bit of a different direction with my with my you know my what this machine what the role of this machine is. Since it'll basically be a desktop, great. But and I mentioned last week, like you know, I I enjoy having my my MacBook Air laptop as our like around the house machine doing workouts with our, you know, FaceTime workouts with our trainer and, you know, running like, you know, any kind of zoom call we have to have with the school or with the teacher or whatever. Like I love having that machine for that. And I love, and we, we do those things often enough that I don't want to disrupt my desktop every time we have to do those things. If we do those things like multiple times a week. And so it's, it's a pain to, to have to take my whole desktop out and do that. So I want to have, a lower-powered laptop available to me in the house. So I think what I should do is actually return this one or mail it to Casey, <laughs> wait for my high-spec one to come in or finagle one from the Apple Store. I'll get to that in a second. Um, wait for that to come in 
And then when that comes in, use that as my desktop and just keep my M1 MacBook Air as the workout and around the house laptop. And then when I go on a trip where I might want to get some work done, take my desktop laptop with me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I wouldn't be moving it that often. It would be, you know, maybe once a month I'd be doing that uh, as opposed to you know, four or five times a week. And I think that will be a really good solution until I can get a pro desktop, in which case maybe I won't even want it anymore because maybe the laptops will be close enough and so good. And maybe I'll love this lifestyle where I can just pick up my desktop laptop and bring it with me on trips. But otherwise, it basically behaves like a desktop. Um, so I think I'm going to try that approach. Um, I, I think it is the the more reasonable one <laughs> than than having like you know two of these MacBook Pros. Um, the the downside is I might be without this MacBook Pro for two to three weeks until while I wait for the new one. Um, but I think ultimately, I think that's the better move. Now, that being said, uh, if I don't use if I don't keep this one I just got and I use the MacBook Air, I am really going to miss these speakers in the new one because the speakers are good. I mean, again, good for laptop speakers. This is, we're grading on a big curve here, a, a really like, you know, tinny metal sharp curve here. But <laughs> the, the speakers in the new one are significantly better. The screen is brighter and I do so clearly see the difference in a scaled pixel mode versus a non-scaled pixel mode. It is like, you can look at the two screens side by side and it's clearly visible that the MacBook Air screen next to the MacBook Pro screen, the Air screen looks a little bit blurry. Like, you can just see it. You can see it on the edges of all the text. Like, just look at any sharp line, any text or anything, and you can see, compare it between the two, the one that is not running the scaling mode is sharper. And, and I'm so happy that they finally fixed that. <laughs> so anyway, I actually didn't instantly notice the 120 hertz thing. Um, maybe, maybe I've lost my... Uh, my eyesight for that in the last two weeks but yeah some apps have to be updated for like there's been some reports of like will you actually see 120 hertz in your mac app and it depends like so i i mean i'm assuming safari or whatever would do it so if that's what you were looking at then you probably should have noticed it but it's um but don't expect to see it everywhere because i think especially mac apps well same thing in ios apps you have a choice whether you want your animation to even take advantage of 120 hertz or not um, so I don't know what every individual app has chosen to do that's either part of the iOS or otherwise. Yeah, I mean, this was Safari that I was testing it, but I, I, again, I've had this for such a short time. Um, so I, I will do more testing and report back next week. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, this thing is really great. It's fast, uh, and I'm looking forward to having more RAM when I get the big one in. Um, that being said, so to get the big one in, I have two options. I can either wait up to another month for my order to come in. Or I can go to an Apple store like tomorrow and get almost the exact spec I'm waiting for. Because as Casey mentioned, the stores are actually stocking two high-end configurations. If you want the M1 Max, you know, top-end CPU, 32 core, so top-end top CPU, and if you want 64 gigs of RAM, you can get the 14-inch with a two terabyte hard drive or SSD, excuse me, or the 16 inch with a four terabyte SSD. Those two configurations are widely being stocked in stores for same day pickup. So if that's what you're looking for, you don't have to wait. You can go right into a store and buy it like almost any day. The downside is that what I wanted was a 14 inch 
top CPU, 64 gigs of RAM, and a four terabyte SSD, not a two. Hey, it's me. Right, so the Casey computer, right? So I, so if I want to do this, I, so my, my options are either wait a month to get exactly what I want, or immediately get either what I want but too big of a laptop <laughs> to get the 16 inch, or what I want but too small of an SSD. Now, I think I'd be most happiest with the too small of an SSD solution. And so I so I went today to, you know, through my my M1 Mac Mini, which itself is two terabytes also. Like, I've been living on two terabytes for a year. It's been fine. It's been a little tight sometimes. But, you know, for the most part, I'm, I do okay. And then I occasionally run low on space and I, got, and I have to go, like, you know, be responsible and clean stuff up. Today I decided, let me see how much I can clean stuff up exactly. Like, what, how how much could I live with here? Because one thing I wanted to find out is... I keep my photos in order to save space on that two terabyte internal drive. I keep my my Apple iCloud photo library on an external SSD that's just always connected. But if I'm going to have a desktop laptop, I don't want any external SSDs to be in use. I want to be able to just take it and not have to take any drives or disconnect them or eject them or anything. So I would probably move the ex- external SSD storage to basically this Mac Mini being like a home server in a closet or something. And it could have the external stay with it, and it could offer network shares. Fine. But I don't want my photo library to be served that way. That would be a little odd. Um, so I, I want my photo library to be able to move locally onto the laptop. So I figured, well, how big is my photo library exactly? And could, could I actually fit all this on my laptop? How hard could it be, right? Two terabytes is a lot of space. So I go, I look at the external drive and the, the, my, my actual iCloud photo library, and it says it's 76 gigs. And I thought, that's less than I thought. <laughs> and my, I currently had like 200 gigs free on the main drive. So I'm like, I could just move it back. <laughs> like, I don't actually need to have it external. I mean, it would leave me with only about 100 gigs free. That's a little tight. Let me see what else I can free up. So I launched one of these trusty disk space viewing apps to scan my drive and see where where is all my space going exactly. And uh, the, I've used many of these apps before. The, the one I typically use is called Space Gremlin, um, more specifically Space Gremlin Pro. I like the way it presents the space better than the rest. I, th- I find it easier to find stuff and, and prune what you want to prune from it. Um, but I also tried the same thing with, um, what's this called, Grand Perspective, which is, I think, even older, and I think it's open source. And so, try that. And when I scan my two terabyte drive with Space Gremlin Pro, I see my users directory, which is seven hundred gigs, miscellaneous app stuff, about two hundred gigs free. And then I see restricted files, nine hundred gigs. <laughs> what? And I thought, huh, that's weird. Let me see, and I'm running it like in full, like root read access mode. It should be able to see everything on the file system. Did like, you give it full disk access? I did full disk access and root. This is why you choose Grand Perspective because what the heck is restrictive files? That's why I tried Grand Perspective. I thought, hey, maybe Space Gremlin hasn't been updated, you know, recently for all this new crazy, crazy security stuff they're doing. Let me try Grand Perspective. So Grand Perspective has a giant gray block that is about that size, and it says, miscellaneous used space. Cool. <laughs> this is like the gray other bar that I was just joking yes. about in the iOS storage manager. Here's So I decided, why don't I look at the actual built-in storage manager of the OS? Wait, wait, wait. Before you go to that, I would say the reason, one of the reasons I use Grand Perspective is if you see any block that you don't understand, you can right-click on it and just have it show you where that thing is in the finder. Copy path. Uh, slash. Hmm. 
Cool. <laughs> Uh, okay. Do, what are you, do you have the little info drawer? I'm launching Grand Perspective now because I use this this uh, all the time. Uh, hopefully, this is not going to hose my recording. Yes, please scan my four terabyte drive while I record a podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, you can change the like. There's like a sidebar that comes out, and you can change it to change it to focus, and then I all just right, put focus, it, and then mouse over the part that you care about and see what the focus thing says. Folder in view slash selected area miscellaneous used space. What? 1.04 terabytes. <laughs> uh, I mean, did you did you look at uh, uh, TMUtil to see if you've got uh, local snapshots? So I, I looked up, how do you remove time machine snapshots or mm-hmm. APFS snapshots? And it said it said basically turn off time machine or like to have uncheck the like automatic backup thing and just wait a few minutes, it'll delete stuff. And sure enough, it did. It freed up like I think about 50 or 100 gigs doing that. So I thought, okay, that's something. So I'm now, I somehow... I'm to the point where Space Gremlin thinks I have about 200 gigs free. Finder thinks I have 600 gigs free. And when I when I went to the you know system information uh, storage tab and had that tell me where things were, it says I have 850 gigs of photos. So I thought, okay, this is interesting. Because I know my photos are most likely larger than 70 gigs as they are on my external drive. I, I have tons of space missing on my main drive that is somewhere and nothing seems to know where it is except the system storage panel which says my photo library is 850 gigs which i mean that sounds high but that actually sounds way more plausible than 70 gigs well, if you just go to your dot photo library file and do get info command i in the finder what does it say it's 70 gigs no yes ridiculous. and i and that's i and I, I dove into it i i'm like you know i show i show package contents dive in look for all the all the files and all the random subdirectories that are named under it and nothing in there is very old and it's all iphone photos is it does it are you sure you're looking in the right photo library yes i even double checked the preference screen in the photos app like where is it pointing show and finder so what i think is happening is somehow it is storing the bulk of my photo library somewhere on the main drive that is considered restricted space that none of these apps can see. Oh, do you have optimized storage on? No. This doesn't make any sense. This is supposed to be downloading all of my photos. So <laughs> somehow I have photos in, in some kind of state where the, the I, I have no idea where my photos are, basically. It thinks it has them. I can scroll all the way back to like, you know, 2004 and I can see my old photos. They're all there. It doesn't seem like it has to download them. I can't find any kind of like show and finder equivalent uh, in photos.app. I don't know if there is one, but I, I couldn't find it uh, for all these old photos. But so I, <laughs> somehow this is this is in a strange state. So my plan is I think before I get <laughs> before I get this this laptop, I have to figure out where the heck my photos are, how to consolidate them into an actual storage system, then into the file system where I can see them and see how big my photo library is because I have no clue, uh, and then I guess redo this whole thing and go from there. But this is this has been quite a journey today trying to figure out where the heck are my photos. And where is all my disk space? And I don't know. I haven't rebooted yet. Maybe I should just reboot and this will all fix itself. Who knows? But this is very, very strange. Well, I wish I could help you with Grand Perspective, but it's still scanning my hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of files. Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm feeling pretty smug about my photo setup over here. You you came over to us. I know. But the the canonic the one canonical photo library is still being maintained and it ain't having it doesn't have anything to do with Apple. I know where my photos are. I'm just saying. 
the easy way to like I, I haven't had these problems. Grand Perspective shows me my photo library. Like, oh, here's do you have you don't have multiple users on your Mac, do you? I sure do. Well, but do you have who owns the photo library? You you're looking at your photo library, right? Yeah. Because one thing I was going to say about Grand Perspective is if you run it on an account that doesn't own the photo library, it won't show up there. Like you have to run it as each user to see like their files, essentially. You know, it's it's just I as far as I can tell, it's just me. Um, yeah, but you're looking at your photo library, right? Like yes. Not, you know the weird because I have the situation where my photo library, I do have a photo library. There's not much in it, but it's mine. But oh, but the the quote unquote family one is in my wife's account, so I have to switch to my wife's account, run Grand Perspective there. And I see the photo library. And even on her computer where the photo library is external, it's on an external disk. And I know how big it is because the disk is whatever, you know, one terabyte. And there's like 400 gigabytes free. So it's 600, right? <laughs> That's how big it is. You know, and then as it grows, it slowly fills the disk, right? I haven't actually done get info on the photo library. I guess I just always know either based on the grand perspective block or based on how much it's filled the one terabyte drive. But there's no getting around the fact that if you have a terabyte drive, you know, you know how much space it's taking up because it slowly starts inching up to be filling the entire drive. I used to have it on a 500 gig drive and it filled that. That's why I had to get a bigger one. So if my scan ever completes, I'll see what I can get. <laughs> like, I don't I don't think this is the case of Tiff's user account having a giant photo library because like her home directory is only 100 gigs. So I, I, I can't imagine that she also would have like a mysterious terabyte of photos sitting somewhere that like... I, but like I think I think the answer is obvious. The answer is that these are my photos somewhere in this space, somewhere on my file system that I can't access from anything. But they show up in the Photos app. Yeah, that's weird. Like, because I mean, obviously, on my main computer, the Photos library is on the main drive, so there's no weirdness about like which drive would be contributing the storage. But on, on my wife's computer, the photo library is on an external SSD, and it wouldn't fit on it. It doesn't fit on her internal SSD at this point because <laughs> she's got one terabyte internal and one terabyte external. All right, finally, grand perspective. Finally finished. Let's see what it has to say. Bring open the little. Where is the little side panel thing? It's on the the info icon on the upper right. It's weird. It's these are not standard icons yeah, yeah. or Retina. Um, oh yeah, it used to be a drawer back in the day. That's what yeah. I was thinking. Um, and I'm gonna go to focus. Uh, there's my iMovie library, which is surprisingly huge because of Dulles Destiny movies. Uh, and there's my <laughs> wow. There's my photos library, and it's like the second biggest block next to the iMovie one, and it's 183 gigs, and it's photos library dot photos library, and yeah, it's big. yeah. That's it's what I would there. expect. Like that's, but I don't see anything gray. Like I don't see anything un unallocated space or anything like that. There's a a bunch of VMs from VMware. Those are big. Uh, some streaming video files. Yeah, no, I, I look at this all the time because I'm always, I'm forever like trying to clear out disk space because otherwise I would just fill it up and I have never run into any surprises and never seen any block that it, that it didn't explain what it was. Yeah, so this is, <laughs> this has been, this is one, this is yet another reason why I haven't spent a lot of time with a new MacBook Pro yet because I, as I started figuring out stuff on my desktop, I'm like, wait, what's going on? Where are these photos? And like, now I'm running all these disk utility apps yeah, trying to figure out what the heck is going on. You should look at TMUtil though because there are easier ways to deal with snapshots than <laughs> TMUtil. Just look okay. at the man page. All right. Um, yeah. And and also, if you could, for my edification, take a screenshot of you in focus mode, mousing over your mystery block in grand perspective, and like, <laughs> it's just I want to see the info window and the screenshot. Just take a full screen screenshot and put it in the Slack or something. 
we can move on after this. I, I just, I wanted to, I thought that you would enjoy the frustrating aspect of yeah, this. Uh, although I have to say on my, on my local hard drive, again, this is excluding my, the quote unquote real photo library, just in my account, one of the largest growing blocks is this tiny little village of little tiny squares and every single one of those little squares is a recorded podcast and it just keeps getting bigger because I never delete them. Oh, you got to do it. One of the things I did today was like delete all of my like, you know, old audio, audio hijack recordings that are for, for all already completed pro- podcast. And like when, when I record podcast, I keep all the source files of like all the all the tracks and everything. I keep all those, but I show those up to the archive drive once once I'm done with them. Like I, I I compress them. I just have a basic shell script that compresses all the waves to FLAC and compresses the logic project slightly in like a zip thing, and then just shoves it off into the um, into the archive drive. So this I'm not, I don't have a computer full of podcasts. Like it's what you'd expect, you know, from a developer who has a lot of fish. So it's like you know, there's you know, <laughs> my biggest folders are like library developer. And then, you know, music, iTunes, iTunes Media, Music Fish, which is 163 gigs of fish. Uh, but otherwise... <laughs> My word. <laughs> hey, it's all I listen to. Well, most of the time. So anyway, uh, hopefully I will have some answers for this at some point soon. <laughs> I, I hope to figure out where my mysterious terabyte of storage has gone and also where my photos are stored. Hopefully it's the same answer. <laughs> so I have some questions about your uh, laptop while you while you take these screenshots. Um I know you've only had it for a short period of time, but how did you feel about the sort of the physical reality of the thing in terms of handling it, carrying it, picking it up, putting it down, like the the hinge, all the different pieces? How does it feel? It feels dense and great. Um, So I would say, you know, compared to the MacBook Air, the M1 MacBook Air that I have sitting right next to it, um, it, it is clearly heavier and more substantial. That is not necessarily in a bad way. It's it's a beefier computer, you know. Um, it is not as bigger, or not as much bigger, or as much heavier uh, as you'd expect it to be compared to the MacBook Air. Like, it the, the MacBook Air definitely looks like the slimmed down, older version of it, um, but the it, it's in the same size class. And so, if you are comfortable carrying an Air or a 13 inch Pro. I think you'll be comfortable carrying the 14-inch Pro as well. Um, it, that's It's fine in that, in that regard. It, it, it looks, at a quick glance, just like the 13-inch Pro always has, or not always, but you know, more recently has. Um, so that being said, um, I am not at all tempted for the 16, because as, I'm, as I feel this and as I handle this, I think this is great. I don't want it to be bigger. So it is, it is great for what I want. Um, the reviews so far that have come out and, and the very few like teardowns that have come out so far, it seems like you don't really get much else with the 16 with the exception of obviously the more screen space, the bigger battery, um, which are both things that I, I don't think I would need it for the context in which I'd be using it. Um, and also then this high power mode where it basically runs the fans at an audible level constantly. So you can do like all your 8K ProRes color grading and stuff, none of which I will ever do while I have this computer. <laughs> so it seems like what the 16-inch offers is a lot of value for people whose needs are very different from mine. And for my needs, I think the 14 is great. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to, I think, stick with the 14-inch size. Um the only thing that oh I guess the, the the 16 might also be better on the speakers front um, through a, a wonderful fluke of shipping I will actually have Tiff's new 16 tomorrow um, Come because on. in the opposite of what happened to Casey uh, Tiff's uh. 16 inch went from like you know it, it the estimated shipping time of next week to delivered 
<laughs> just today it got delivered <laughs> so this is what i'm talking about where like, if you try to do a speculative order and feel comfortable like i don't have to worry about canceling that for another week no it might come tomorrow exactly like so it's like it, it never even entered like preparing to ship or shipped status it just it went straight from you know ships november 4th to 9th or whatever to delivered <laughs> so sorry casey Mm-hmm. so how does the how does the lid feel like in the pictures the 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 screen lid looks thicker does it feel any thicker or is it just kind of like blunt edges but otherwise pretty thin it feels thicker than the macbook air and and i i, I mean i don't know if it actually is or if it's just the just the you know the, the curvature on the edge is no is not really not really there anymore um but it is actually way easier to open one-handed uh the macbook air it's so like the bottom of the macbook air is so light you got to kind of like you know hold your hand in a certain way to be able to lift it up one-handed without um, having the bottom come up a little bit. And the new 14-inch does not have that problem at all. Um, I think one of the reasons why people think they look so much thicker and boxier is that I think the body, like the the bottom half of the body, I think got thicker, but the screen lid, I think, got thinner. And so I, I think what has happened is that the total thickness has stayed roughly the same, but they've just moved some of it from the top to the bottom effectively. So the bottom is a little bit thicker, I think. Um, but I don't have a 13 inch here to compare, uh, like a 13 inch pro. What do you think about the engraving on the bottom? Oh, I don't care. It looks great. I mean, here, let me pick it up. Do you ever touch it? Does your finger ever run across <laughs> it or is it just not in a touchable area? I have yet to actually use this computer on my lap. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. Again, ask, ask me that in a week or so. I'll have more information then. I was thinking like when you're carrying it, like if you pick it up off the table and put I mean, it under your arm. I don't think, you know, I, I, I can't even reach it. Like unless I'm, I mean, I have to be holding it in a really weird way to actually touch the middle logo because like I'm holding it on the edge. And, uh, and I think my final physical uh, question thing, have you heard the fans yet? Not, uh, not at all, no. I, I wish they had changed the feeling of the vents on your fingers on the side. They do feel a little sharp, just like the 2016 and forward models have always uh, felt this way. Like when you pick it up, you feel those side vents and, and they, they kind of dig, dig, dig into your fingers in a slightly unpleasant way. So I, I do wish they had changed that um, now that I'm handling it and stuff. But otherwise, that, that, that's a pretty minor issue. Yeah, I noted that when I saw a bunch of YouTube videos about it. I'm like, oh, those side slots. Because the people you're handling on YouTube videos are like, oh, those slots are still there. Of course they have to be. The air has to come in from somewhere. I just, like in, in Apple's product shots, they don't really ever show you a shot that emphasizes or highlights them. But if you see one in real life and someone rotates it around, you see these huge slots inside. It's a shame to hear that they're a little bit sharp because it feels like, you know, there's no reason, especially since they're so sort of subtle and not in your face it's not like a design element to make the sharp edges or just rounded them over more because i don't know you know why not it's a little bit more comfortable that way yeah i don't know i mean again it's not it isn't a big deal and it's it's not any worse than the outgoing models were yeah um and so in in terms of using the thing uh what do you think of the notch in your brief time with it I still only have the stock wallpaper that came configured on it because I couldn't migrate my stuff over, as we said. Uh, and stock wallpaper, that middle area is a very dark navy blue. It's almost black. And so with the wallpaper, I really don't see the notch. But as I was using the computer, you know, you, I would occasionally, you know, have light colored content in the vicinity of it or whatever. And um, I really just didn't notice it at all. Like, I, I honestly haven't noticed it once while using it. Like I, I just had to double check. It is definitely there. <laughs> but but I really don't notice it. So 
uh, on the topic of the notch, uh, The Verge had a story. It was highlighting a couple of tweets that I was originally going to put in the show notes, but now we'll just put the story in there. It's Quinn Nelson pointing out some strange behavior with the notch. Uh, the first is that, and I'm surprised more people have tried this, like, so if you, I don't know if it's requires holding the mouse button down because people don't do that anymore, but uh, very old school Mac users will remember at a time when if you wanted to use a menu from the menu bar at the top of the screen on the Mac, the way you would do it is you'd bring your cursor up to like the word file, you would click the mouse button and hold it down, and then you would move down to the item you wanted, like save or something, and then you would release, and save would activate. And that was the only way to use a menu with the mouse on the Mac for many, many, many years. Of course, Windows came along and used a different approach. In Windows, you would go up to the word file, put your pointer on it, you would click, mouse button down, mouse button up, you just click, and then the file menu would display itself, and the file menu would stay on the screen, and then you would move the cursor down to save, and you would click again, and it would do save. Um, the philosophy behind that in the original days of the Mac is like, if you get into a situation where, you know, the Mac was introduced into a world where no one even knew what the heck a mouse was, like it came with a tutorial about how to use a mouse. Like, that was a very important part of using the product. Like, this is called a mouse, and when you move it, you see the cursor. Like, they had to explain that. There was on-screen tutorials for it. It was in the manual. It was the first thing you needed to learn, right? And so to throw a computer in front of people and have it behave the Windows way where you would click the file menu and the and, and, and the menu would display, now you've got this menu displayed, but your cursor is free. So you might go off and try to do something else, but you're like, how do I, like the file menu is stuck down. It's like a mode, but you'd go off and do something else, but the file menu would be there and you'd click somewhere else and that click would essentially, if you're lucky, deactivate the file menu but maybe not go through to the thing that you clicked on because that click was just the clicking outside the file menu thing right so anyway the the reason the mac worked that way was because it was one operation click hold down go to the thing you want and release and there were no modes and no sort of getting stuck in a position which made perfect sense for the original you know day of the mac uh, but obviously when windows did it the windows way everyone got used to it eventually apple adopted it because the world didn't need to learn how to use a mouse and wasn't afraid of the getting the menu stuck down and not knowing what to do and so that's the way they did it so uh, this is a long-winded way to say with the notch if you have a series of menus that span the notch like some of your menus are on the right side of the notch but the most of them are on the left if you activate the menu on your mac by holding down the mouse button or even just clicking and the menu bar is active and you just move your mouse to the right, like you go, you know, file, edit, whatever, and you keep moving to the right, apparently the mouse cursor will teleport around the notch when you get to the last <laughs> menu that is to the left of the notch and you go to the right, rather than the cursor hiding under the notch, which is what it would do if you were just mousing, because you are in like, I am currently highlighting menu items, again, either holding the mouse button down or clicking and being in that mode, the mouse cursor will teleport to the other side of the notch and immediately you move one pixel and it hops to the other side and now you're on the next menu. So it preserves sort of the muscle memory of, you know, mousing through the menus if that's what you wanted to do. Um, and that you'll see that in the video, which I think is a good behavior. Another thing you'll see in the video is that the menu bar icons, the menu extras, the little icons that appear on the, the right side of your menu bar, those things have no idea the notch exists, <laughs> which is bad. <laughs> now, it takes some amount of effort, or being Casey, to get enough menu bar icons. <laughs> oh, to, stop. <laughs> to get enough menu bar icons to reach the notch. Because remember, the notch is dead center in the screen. So you have to build up quite a conga line of icons to reach the notch. But if you do, those menu bar icons will apparently just display underneath the notch. 
and you can use them. You can put your mouse cursor underneath the notch and find, like blindly find, like whatever menu but uh, menu uh, extra icon is under there and click it and it will display a menu out from under the notch. That's not good behavior. That seems like a bug. They should work on that. Um, and I mean, what it should do is that those the menu extras that are basically controlled by the system more or less of how they're laid out should have an awareness of notch just like the menus do. And it should do the sort of same teleporting thing. And then the final thing that uh, Quinn... Uh, quote-unquote discovered is that the if you have lots of menus like you have an app with tons of regular menus uh, they will just uh, overwrite and push away the menu bar icons that is not a new behavior they'll do that today in any computer with or without a notch Uh, in a contest between those icons and the menus the menus always win Uh, and they don't win in a graceful way it's not like your icons get truncated or you scroll or there's a sub menu they just they just disappear Um, so a couple of things to uh, software packages to deal with that. Obviously, there's Bartender and what is the other one called? Vanilla, maybe. Is that the one that does the same thing as Bartender, but it's cheaper? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, those are two apps that you can use that will let you sort of compress your own menu bar icons down to a smaller size while still being able to get out of all of them. Um, and as for the notch, there are two applications to make it less prominent. One is called Denotchifier from the same person who made Boring Old Menu Bar. Uh, and the other is called Top Notch. They're both ways of essentially because the menu bar is transparent, putting a darkly colored thing behind the menu bar so that the menu bar blends better with the notch. Obviously, you can just change to dark mode and do that, and you're, you could, or you could use a dark desktop background, but both of these tools let you darken the menu bar or blend it with a notch without doing either one of those two things. So I'll have links to all these in the show notes. I would suggest, like, before, like, when you, if, if listeners, if you get one of these machines, I would suggest, like, instead of rushing to install one of these notch-hiding utilities the second you get the machine, try using it for a few days first, because I think you'll probably find that, oh, actually, you don't actually care. <laughs> you don't actually notice it in practice. So just just try it, like, try it the way it's designed first, because, again, I, I don't, I, I think these, these machine, or these, these apps are jumping to solve a problem that people think they have. But I think once you get these machines, you'll quickly realize you don't actually have this problem. I have a lot more questions about the notch, like in terms of how does it behave if you're on a menu bar hiding. I'm assuming the menu, that space is still preserved and the menu bar just slides down into it. Um, the various, uh, like how it behaves with different apps that are that know about the notch versus ones that don't in that compatibility check box, uh, box and get info. And there's lots of nuances to the behavior. Like this is just one example of the menu, the menu icons uh, not being notch savvy yet. Um, and I bet there are lots of other weird edge cases like that where you could lose things under the notch, which is a shame, but if the notch is young, I'm sure we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to our sponsors this week, Memberful, Ernest, and Lutron Caseta. And thank you to our members who support us directly. You can join at atp.fm slash join. We will talk to you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them 
ISS, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O, A-R-M, E-N-T, Marco Armin, S-I-R-A-C, USA Syracuse, it's accidental. So I had to help Adam with his homework this past week. This is remarkable? His homework from gym class. Oh, this is slightly remarkable. Okay. Uh, apparently, they have recently learned or have started to learn flag football, <laughs> which for those of us who are, who are not Americans, it's basically American football, but without tackling so that you can play it responsibly with children. <laughs> and the idea is you basically, each kid basically has like one or two like little straps of fabric like hanging off their waistbands and to to do the function of quote of tackling them in, in regular american football you just like pull one of these flags off of them and it's like okay that's it you're you're down or you're out or whatever um so it, anyway the assignment uh that the gym teacher assigned was sometime in the next two weeks you have to watch a football game and fill out this worksheet of questions about the football game that you've watched why are there so many beer and Viagrads? <laughs> <laughs> so, I am not a sports person, really. <laughs> I know the rules of the games enough to watch them and know what's going on, but I don't care about the games, and I don't care about any of the teams or the players, and that's why I'm not into sports. Uh, you know, I respect them as games, but I just don't care and therefore don't watch them. So, I don't have cable TV. And so, at first, I'm like, all right, at first i thought i'm like oh no how what if i just like go on youtube and find video of an old game so i i'm like does it have to be a current football game or can it be <laughs> any football game and i like, should have found is uh i mean this probably wouldn't qualify for the homework but have you ever watched even marco must know this do you know nfl films am i getting the name right casey Yes, I believe so. Old grainy film footage with this one guy's voice narrating over where he says, and this was the greatest game you've ever seen. And he threw the, it just, it's, they're great. They're amazing. They're the, basically the football equivalent of, oh God, what's his name? Chat room. Um, Warren Miller. There we go. You didn't even need it. They're, they're the football equivalent of Warren Miller ski films. They're not an actual game. It is someone doing voiceover of a summary of a dramatic thing that happened but even if you hate football they are so amazing nfl films i think is what they're called check it out <laughs> well i didn't know about that but anyway you, you um, could have called either one of us you could have called uncle casey who has season tickets to a to, to a university football team's games and you could have called me up but you didn't so what did you do instead so so first we we were we were at um <laughs> we were at a restaurant one night and I asked the bartender, I'm like, Hey, when is football on? Cause oh like, God, cause they have oh TVs there that oh normally when I'm in a restaurant, I do my best to ignore what's on the TVs, but they do occasionally show football games and they even have a whole separate menu of like, you know, junk food that you can order during football games. So I thought, all right, so I like when, when are the games on? And they said, um, Sundays at one. Great. Okay. So, between that day and Sunday, I forgot what time she had said. And so Sunday comes around. I'm like, what time do we go again? And I thought, oh, I've always heard that Siri is really good at sports stuff because Eddie Q likes sports. So great. All right. So I asked Siri, what time is the football game on? <laughs> oh, my God, Marco. Oh, my God. And I was presented with this list of like 30 games. And I'm like, 
Oh, I, I didn't even consider the possibility, but of course, there's more than one game at a time. Because there's a whole <laughs> more league than, more of teams. Than two teams maybe? Yeah, it's like, wait a minute, of course, like there's in this whole league, this whole country full of teams, they probably play more than one game a week. <laughs> you, re- you realize we are talking about this during the World Series. The World Series, which is not football, That's a different is sport. happening right now. Yeah, but my point is, this is how clueless all of us, but, but particularly Marco <laughs> is, we are recording during the World Series. And, and we're, oh my gosh, Marco, you, you know. I'm trying very hard not to lose my mind, and I'm trying very hard to channel XKCD and the, oh, you've never seen this, you know, oh, then today's your lucky day. But, like, it didn't even cross your mind to go to ESPN.com and look at football schedules. Why would I do that? I don't even... Because it answers your damn question. Well, Siri answered that one. She just told me, like, 30 different games. Fortunately, most of them were on at 1 o'clock. And I remembered, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. She said 1 o'clock. Okay. So, me and Adam and Tiff, we, we made this family trip to go sit at the bar in this empty restaurant in a beach town in the off season at one o'clock on a Sunday. <laughs> and we're like the only people in there. <laughs> and they, and they turn on the game, the game. I, I didn't even ask which game it was because part of the homework assignment, the worksheet that Adam had to fill out included in that was what teams are playing. So I thought, okay, this is actually kind of fun because he and I can try to figure this out together. <laughs> Cause oh, I don't no. know either. <laughs> So, for somebody who is an expert at watching football, I'm sure all the different stats and things and abbreviations they're showing on screen make total sense. But to someone who is not an expert, first of all, it was very, very confusing because what football power users want is to know what's going on in all of the 30 games that are happening at once. And so, they keep, first of all, like the bottom the very bottom row of stats on the screen was some kind of like rotating carousel that was showing all of the games in the universe that was go- that were going on and all the scores of all the games in the universe. So first I had to figure out, wait, which, where is the, where are the stats for this game that I think I'm watching right now? And then they keep showing highlights and clips and replays from all of the other games. So I'm like, okay, well I, I really don't care about all those. I'm trying to figure out one game, <laughs> whatever one is, the game that the people in this restaurant turned on as, quote, the game. What is What game is this? Okay. Eventually, I see, I figure out on the screen that this series of letters appears to be the teams in this game. And I noticed that it was, it was whatever the abbreviation, uh, I figured out it was the Giants versus the Patriots, which makes sense. We're in New York, so of course they're showing a Giants game. Okay. And I think, all right, so that, so we wrote down, you know, New York Giants, you know, New England Patriots. And then it says, what, what, like, who, who is the home team and who's the away team? So then I'm like, oh, crap. Oh, Marco. We watched for a few minutes, and eventually we saw, like, a wide shot of the field. Wait, and you wait, wait. Could when see, did you do this? Uh, this past weekend. Sunday. Am I crazy? I thought it was Carolina Giants. Oh, Jets? The- Patriots? Was it Jets? <laughs> oh, God. I hope not for your sake. Who's green and white? Yes. Yes. It's Jets. Ah, oh, my God. God. All, all, the, all the Giants fans are crying now. You can't tell the difference between the Giants and the Jets. I now. am crying. I am a Giants fan. I'm listening. To, I mean, I all right. They're green I've, and white. The Jets. Okay. Oh sorry. God, De- determining, determining the home team. I was like, well, what state is the stadium in? That's not going to help you. Right. Yes. Yeah, uh, so well, that's true. That's right. True. So, all right. So, so for eventually they zoom out to a like a wide shot and I see. On the 50-yard line, what I'm pretty sure was the Patriots logo. But then I'm like, wait a minute. 
they superimpose so much stuff on the video stream. Uh, good, good. I see that your tech angle is helping you out here. Not everything you see on that screen is real. Right. I'm like, I, I know they're superimposing the line of scrimmage and then whatever the, whatever the you know, 10 yards after that line is called. I know they're superimposing <laughs> that. I'm sure they're probably superimposing some of the ads on the side or whatever. So I'm like, I don't know. It, like, it, maybe that logo is superimposed. I don't the know. Ball, the ball is CG too. It, like it might the glow, be the glow, the glowing puck in the NHL, yeah. right? Uh, that's that's not been a thing for a long time, I believe. But yes, I'm with you. I mean, at this point, it wouldn't surprise me, right? Oh, I should also clarify that there's no sound where we're watching it, so I'm only seeing the video, which honestly is probably better. Yeah, is it because a restaurant is the ideal viewing place for? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Did it have subtitles oh on as well? No, no. It, it was just video, no subtitles. Um, so, but look, because I mean, how how the hell would I have watched it? What would I have put? Like, I'm not going to buy some streaming service to watch one game for my kid to fill out a worksheet. Just download the NFL app for the Apple TV, pay for a month of it, and watch a game. No, it's not that simple with the NFL because the NFL hates people. Yeah, it's never that simple. It's never that simple with any of this crap. You That's can why buy, can't you just buy the NFL one and pay for it? I thought the NFL no. was the one that was simple. It was not like local blackouts like the stupid baseball teams. No, no. Remember, no, because this is when uh, Lex had put up a post years ago about how you can get a foreign. Uh, like an overseas DNS server such that when you go to pay the NFL, it thinks, oh, you're European, so I'll totally take your money. Because if you try to pay the NFL in the States, they're like, ha, get DirecTV, mm. because otherwise pound sand. Oh, I didn't, I didn't. See, oh, right, this well. is why. You guys still can't figure it out. We're like two minutes after no, you I the question. No, I know. This I is absolutely why, know the answer. You just didn't come to me. In the time it took you to argue with each other about how I could have watched it, I could have ridden my bike to this restaurant. No, no, no. We're not <laughs> arguing. I am educating John. I would say, that, what I would the, say that, well, I, but I had heard that NFL was the lead that was that was more savvy about this stuff and didn't have the stupid local TV rights and blackout things that, like the baseball has. But, you know, I guess it's still screwed up in its own way. <laughs> yeah, so I knew that there was a bunch of crap to deal with with how the heck you even go about watching sports. So I'm like, all right, let me just outsource that to a place that I know broadcast them <laughs> and then I can at least have a good sandwich while I'm watching the game. <laughs> all right, so anyway... So we event- I eventually figure out, okay, that, that logo does not appear to be superimposed I, unless they did a really good job. And I'm like, I, I'm going to assume this is where it is. So then I ask Siri, where is the Patriot Stadium or whatever? And because another, another question is like, what city and state is a stadium it's in? It's in New England. It's right in the name. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, <laughs> unfortunately, that's not a state. And you so you ask Adam, wait, where, what state is New England from? Yeah, right. So, so eventually, like Siri gives me some kind of info card um, that shows the stadium on a, on like a zoomed in map. But apparently, the stadium's like in the middle of nowhere, and the the town name is sometimes never heard of. That's like not near really anything. Foxborough. Yep. Yeah, that's Ring it. Yep. There Ring it is. That's it. Yeah. Yep. I, I had to ha- I had to show Adam how to spell that. That was fun. <laughs> so like Worcester. Yeah, right. Yeah, oh, Worcester. <laughs> my Worcestershire sauce on my steak. Um, so <laughs> anyway, uh, so eventually, you know, we figured out that, and then it, then came the, the the even harder question: Who are the quarterbacks? Oh no! All right. So I know enough about football to know that the person who the hike person hands the ball to is probably the quarterback. <laughs> Marco, but, but Marco. they pass this information to the quarterback, and then I'm like, wait a minute, who is that? I also know that teams might have multiple quarterbacks, and maybe the person who's normally the quarterback wasn't playing this game, or maybe they pulled them out early or something. I don't know. So we're like, all right, first we have to we have to wait for each team to get the ball to figure out who the quarterback is currently playing, and then we have to like wait for a clear shot of the back of their shirt 
so we can see their number and their name. It's because you didn't have the audio on. If you had the audio on, all they're going to do is talk about the quarterback and what he did or didn't do on that last play. Yeah, but what are the odds they're going to actually like use his full name? Like it, uh, <laughs> They're going to use his last name, and you'll be able to figure it out from that. Yeah, you could Google for this once you know a last name. And oh, Granted, it took you half the game to figure out what be- teams you're playing. Okay. But can, still. Can, you na- can you name a famous quarterback who might have played for the New England Patriots <laughs> in your lifetime? Yeah, so I knew about Tom Brady, right? But I'm like, right, but good, I don't okay. know... I, I don't know if he was still playing. He's ter- turns out he's super right, old. I had to look all, him up. These are all valid but, questions. I'm just saying, like, you do know quarterbacks. Can you name how many quarter how many NFL quarterbacks living or dead? Can you name Marco? Uh, Dan Marino from Ace Ventura. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> Miami Dolphins, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, Is that it? Tom Brady and Dan Marino. <laughs> that might be it. When do I need to know this? You've heard of Joe Montana, right? Oh, I, I, I only from like the the video game series. Was John Madden ever a quarterback or just a commentator? <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> definitely a quarterback. Is built for built to be a quarterback, John Madden. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Yep. I mean, well, he's a little old now, but you know, maybe back in the day, I don't know. I would say if you want to identify the quarterback, if you want to identify the quarterback in special teams isn't on the field, it's the guy who's skinny. <laughs> Fair anyway, point. so yeah, so we went through this exercise first, like, you know, figuring out, oh, look, it, here's number, you know, 10 or whatever appears to be the quarterback on this team. Let's look up the roster, figure out who the heck that is, because we, could, we couldn't get a shot of his last name on his shirt yet. And then eventually you, you look up, oh, and then you get, then you see the last name, you confirm it and everything. Then we eventually the green team got the ball. We had to see who their quarterback was, look that up. The green team. Yeah. Oh my God. Zach somebody. And if you look that up, put write that down, all this stuff. Oh, my God. And then, <laughs> then came. The most difficult question of all. Describe something interesting that happened during the game. Did they? Did this game, was it, they're still using those flying cameras on the wires, Casey? Do they still yes, do that? Yes, usually. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing that happened during the game. It's like when they did a replay, it was like a, it was like a drone was chasing the runner, and it looked really cool. Oh, yeah, I didn't, so, and, you know, granted, this is all, not not only a, a test of, of my patience and certainly of my ability to explain and figure stuff out, but it's also it's hard for you know a nine year old who's not into sports to to sit and focus for this long on this crazy thing because one thing that made this surprisingly difficult is I, I don't think you realize when when you watch sports regularly how many ads there are yeah so and I told Adam I warned him ahead I'm like look pretty much every time they stop playing we're going to see commercials he's fine but it was very hard to explain what's going on or even to understand what's going on because they're they're constantly cutting to replays and highlights and other games constantly and so the actual shot duration of each shot you get of the actual game as it's live is so short compared to all of the replays and cuts and quick and re and like there's so much going on it's very hard for me to it was very hard for me to explain to him what was going on as it happened because they kept cutting away and showing other stuff and it, it and it was hard for him to understand like well what is happening versus what's a replay what is the game versus what is some other game like it and then commercials cut in like it was manic trying to watch this broadcast like in, in many ways i think it would have been easier to just go to a game and watch in the stadium with the exception of you wouldn't get those wonderful line overlays which i think do make it easier to understand what's going on but other than that like it was it was very difficult to understand this like it and at one point <laughs> at one point he even asked he's like so, you know, they just go back and forth in the field over and over again. Like, isn't that kind of boring? <laughs> like, what's the point? 
We got I feel our- like the audio really <laughs> would have helped here, though, because especially with the replays, just there's an audio, there are audio cues for the replay. The fact that the sound is cutting and replaying and the crowd noise, like a contrast, they do a good job of audio mixing to sort of make it clear what's a flashback, what, you know, in, in movie parlance, what's a replay when they're going to a different game. And the announcers say stuff. The announcers, the people who are calling the game, say things that make it clear that this is a replay. Here we are seeing again. You can see where he did X, Y, and Z. Anyway, here we are. We're back. Not that they say anyway, but, you know, like, audio helps. Again, watching in a restaurant. I mean, on the one hand, maybe you could distract Adam with food when he gets bored, but on the other hand, not the ideal viewing environment. Honestly, I think watching football on TV is just not a very good, not a very ideal, like, you know, first sports explanation. Like, I, I think th- probably the easiest sports explanation is to just go to like a AAA baseball game and sit there in the stands and get some hot dogs and watch the baseball game in person in you know at a AAA stadium. So, you, so you have nice close seats and there's not a lot of pressure or anything like that. And actually, we we looked into doing that, and it's I don't think it's going to happen this fall, but it might happen next whenever baseball starts. Um, but <laughs> spring, <laughs> summer, I don't know. <sighs> spring i guess well there's spring training you might have heard of that uh, I uh marco <laughs> you go watch the long island ducks play that's that's what we're trying to do mm-hmm. yeah their 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 fall schedule is is not so great for our ferry schedule but but we're gonna try to do it in the spring if only you knew someone if only you knew the phone number of someone <laughs> if only you knew the <laughs> slack id on across six different slacks of someone that would have been overjoyed to tutor you on this very issue but i wasn't the one who needed to learn well, I mean, maybe I do. So, so did, did, did he complete the assignment? He completed the worksheet. <laughs> but we'll see. You should, you should complain to the gym teacher. This is a dumb assignment. I mean, it would be better if you said kids should watch a a, uh, a, a televised sport of their choice and answer some questions about it, because then at least the kid gets to pick what they're interested in, if they're whatever sport they're interested in or, or think they might be the most interested in, and then they can write about that. Because, like, teaching kids about, you know, organized sports so that they're televised – I think is a, a valid role for Jim, but focusing on the NFL makes me think like, I don't know, someone said, is he getting kickbacks from the NFL? He's not. The NFL is cheap. They would never do that. They don't yeah. have to though, because <laughs> they're the most popular sport in this country. Yeah. Oh, and the chat room is asking like, what, what was the interesting thing that happened that Adam wrote down? And I'd like for that question, I don't even remember. It was just something, some really stupid thing. Like, you know, when the one team ran really hard and got the ball, like it was something like that because we, both of us had just lost so much patience. I knew I was about to lose. And I'm like, let's, let's just write something down here and get out of here. Did you explain to Adam about CTE? No. Is that the brain injury stuff? Yes. Yes, we did actually. (laughs) Because I think that is the most salient point about the NFL. This sport shouldn't exist and it exists to exploit the bodies of these people who get paid millions of dollars but often have terrible consequences and no one cares because they just get ground up in this giant machine and really the NFL should not exist as it currently stands. But since it's the most popular sport, we will never do that. Well, I wouldn't say never because unlike the Second Amendment, it's not in the Constitution. So in theory... If we ever get a clue, we could stop destroying people's brains with the NFL. Well, this is this is exactly why I stopped paying. So my football team, my professional football team, is New York Giants, and this is why I've I almost never watch the NFL anymore. And of of course, and you you know ask about college football, we're just going to sweep that under the rug real quick. But you know, for the NFL, it's just extreme. It, it's so exploitative, and it just made me feel so gross that I just really stopped paying attention. But the answer to the question of what interesting, which probably wouldn't have been good for his grade, but I think the most a uh, reasonable answer to the question is what's interesting about the game to you two. It's how that, that yellow first down line works. 
because it, I've, I've read a really fascinating story about like the development and how it works. And I can't, I was Googling trying to find it and I can't find it. But my recollection is, is that they have to take like hyper accurate 3D models of the stadiums because the stadiums don't have perfectly flat fields and so on and so forth. And they have like hyper accurate um, uh, readouts of where the cameras are pointing and where they're panned and tilted and zoomed. And then they're running this through a computer, through a series of computers to paint the stuff on as quickly as possible. And as the game is happening, it's really, really fascinating all the technology that goes into this. And I think even you, Marco, would appreciate that even if you didn't appreciate football. Yeah, because honestly, like, like I remember when they started adding those lines, whenever that was, like 15 years ago or whatever, and that really made a massive improvement in how watchable football games on TV became. And it was, it was, it was like the first time that it was actually nicer to watch it on TV than in person in, in some way. Um, not necessarily in all ways, but yeah. So that, that I, I thought that, that that's a great technological advance that they made. It is unfortunate that it's for such a, you know, overall terrible sport. But yes, we did have that conversation. But yeah, I mean, the most interesting thing that happened in the game was the mahi sandwich I ate, and it was really good. Oh my gosh. Do you do you bring these things up just to troll me? Is that is that what's happening right now? Are you doing this? Are you, you're, you're, you're describing this beautiful laptop that you have, and you're <laughs> telling me, oh, if only I understood football. If only there was some Beep. way for me to understand football, they w- then it would have made this assignment so much easier. Do you do this just to mess with my emotions? Is that what's going on? I understand football fine enough. I just didn't know when to watch it or whose teams <sighs> were playing or what their names were. Oh, my God, Marco. Oh, my God. I was, I was explaining what was happening to Adam. It was just really hard to watch. I love you so much, but I hate you so much right now. I hate you so much. <laughs>